0: Are you a fan of the small ball? I'm not as dramatic, as James. Dramatic? <laughs> you
1: sound like my wife
0: now. Jealous of all the inside analysis and crack on the football pod? Well, we've got you covered with The Hurling Pod. Subscribe to The Hurling Pod feed on the OTB Sports app now. OTB's The Hurling Pod with James Scehill and Paul Murphy.
1: here in the nation,
2: People of Galway, we love you. I don't want to leave the people of Waterford, them, you know, because they're my life, you know, people of Waterford are my life, you know, and I, 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 love, I, love, I love me county, you know. We love John Mallon!
0: Oh. It's almost like they're afraid to kind of go mm. and hurl and yeah. just let themselves express themselves. It's like as if they're nearly afraid to make a mistake, and sometimes you have to make a mistake and just throw off
2: that bit of nervousness and have a go. Yeah, it's pure constipated hurling.
1: Welcome along
0: to episode three of The Hurling Pod. Plenty to discuss over the next hour with Paul Murphy and with James Scal. Coming up on today's show, Waterford enjoy their biggest margin of victory against Tipperary in almost 50 years. They've stayed on top of Division 1B and are almost certainly on course now for the semi-finals. Kilkenny got their bid back on track to qualify for the last four, but what proves to be a fairly comfortable win away to Dublin at Parnell Park. Leash delivered yet again against Antrim. They've preserved their top flight status for next season. Cork and Wexford have qualified for the semi-finals from 1A. They'll play each other in the last round, but it doesn't matter about that result. They've both already qualified. And Limerick's wait for a first win of the campaign goes on following a draw with their neighbours Clare. James Skell, Paul Murphy with me. Gentlemen, how are you getting on?
1: Great, well. How are you? Very good, now, Will. How are things?
0: Paul, could you ever imagine that we'd be talking about Limerick needing to avoid defeat in their last league game to make sure they don't go into a relegation playoff? Like I saw some of the commenters last week on YouTube were pointing out, don't worry, lads, when April comes around, they'll be fine. Kieran32 on YouTube last week, different Limerick, different Limerick come April. But we said this in February when they'd lost a couple of games. We're now in March. And Limerick is yeah. not one in their first four fixtures, Paul.
2: Yeah, like I think when we're talking about Limerick, we'll all admit, and I think this is across the board. Any pundit will admit that you, you do believe that they're going to come somewhere right in Championship. But I think just what people are looking at now at the moment is they're saying, well, okay, you lose one match, you lose two matches, but you, lo- you know, you go three matches, you know, losing, you're you're getting lads sent off. You, Ennis is not an easy place to go, but you go up to tennis, you draw, and then suddenly, you no, know, you're in the position that you're in. I think we just expected Limerick to maybe have make an easier stab at it or something I don't know but we're kind of seeing a few more I suppose not problems maybe but certainly questions that have to be answered for Limerick before a championship so but no one's saying that Limerick are on the downward here or anything like that we do expect them to come good for championship but there still is I suppose what's showing up now is is there a few questions over them let's one of the big things I would be thinking and we, we, we talked about it last week was if they lose one or two big players and when we're talking big players it's like Players they can't replace. Well, how do they function? What way do they function? We saw in the semi final, or we saw last week, sorry, should I say, that, you know, they had to bring on four players at half time, four really big, influential players. And then, like, you know, against Slayer there, we just saw that Declan Hannan going off, Key Lynch going off. Okay, we don't, it doesn't look like it's anything serious. But it does raise a question that if they do go off, is there anyone to fill those key roles and like the Dear Burns roles and these things? I think there's a few lads there that they can't replace. So, This is just what people I think are talking about at the moment. Again, nobody's writing Limerick off, but we're just, I suppose, trying to figure out what's happening in Limerick that they are in this position because I think we all thought that they might lose one match and turn it on for the following week, but we're just seeing that that's not the case. Yeah, like
0: James, you said last week we're not looking at a Limerick Championship team just yet, and we have to wait and see where they're at when mm-hmm. Easter weekend comes around with the starting fifteen. But the team that was named last week, you know, when the team sheet came out on Friday, you're seeing half the team has been changed, and a lot of those frontline players were coming back in for the game against Clare. They seem to be like really targeting getting that win on Sunday, but it didn't happen.
1: Yeah, like it's it's, it's all well and good saying that the league is not doesn't uh, hold that much importance in comparison to the championship. That's obvious. But like you don't just flick a switch, you know. I I'd, I'd always be a big advocate like that. You you have to train the way you want to play, and you have to then when you come into the league, you have to nearly go in the ascendancy. Every day you go out has to be some sort of level of improvement. You know what I mean? So from day one to day five will be a gradual, you know, better five percent better today, five percent better tomorrow, and so on. And you roll into the championship. Right now it looks like Limerick are just flatlining across, you know, and they're chopping and changing formations, chopping and changing personnel, personnel bringing in bigger players and they're getting the very same result you know. and I think yesterday showed um, Claire had a fantastic blueprint now albeit the size of Innes Pitch has, has had a lot to play with this too but Claire's blueprint on how to attack Limerick especially on the puck out um, was something that definitely all the Munster teams would take going forward and I think from Limerick Limerick will, the biggest part of their game is shutting you down in your puck out turn you over, creating scores and then creating scores after your own puck out, so if you can somehow neutralise that or even turning into your favour 60-40, you'll go a long way to, to definitely putting Limerick on the back foot.
0: James, when it comes to that blueprint, probably over the last couple of years, and this is understandable given that Limerick have been the standard bears, but so many teams appear to be coming up with a game plan which is good at trying to stop Limerick's style of hurling. It's almost trying, some teams are trying to maybe transition their own game to be able to play against them, but yeah. it's very clear that teams are now tactically going after Limerick this season.
1: Yeah, they are. And like I, uh, again, I have to mention NFL again. Like If you ever get there's, there's a quarterback, right, for the Baltimore Ravens, Lamar Jackson's the name, right? When he first came on the scene, no team had a clue what to do with him because he was elusive, he was fast. So he was kind of what teams wouldn't have seen from a quarterback, right? Now, Limerick are in year four or five. When they first came on the scene over the first couple of, tiers, couple of years, teams were looking at them and saying, how are we going to get around them? And you've got a whole host of intelligent people in counties like Cork, Kip, Kikini, Galway, who were plotting actively, actively plotting how to get around Limerick. And you're slowly seeing that come around again now. I don't think, you know, public opinion, let's say go back two months ago, would have been that Limerick were probably 30, 40% better than everybody else. I don't think Limerick are as good as what the public have said at the moment now. At at the end of last year's Ireland final, I had them well ahead of the pack, you know what I mean? But they seem to have come back a bit and the gap seems to close. But still, if you log on to any bookmakers right now, you'll see Limerick as the clear outright favourites. But definitely the blueprint for For taking on Limerick, I won't say taking them down, but taking them on is there. And I think teams, as the season goes on, will try to develop that gradually.
0: Yeah, like Paul, there's all these kind of nuances when it comes to the argument around Limerick. And again, another couple of yellows, which turned into a red last weekend, has become a familiar story. Players have been injured, players have been getting tried out. And this is not the full Limerick machine, which we saw uh, dispatch Waterford and Cork, particularly in an All-Ireland semi-final and final last year. But still, it has to give teams around them confidence, uh, you know, Cork, Galway, Wexford have uh, been able to restrict Limerick's style of play. They're still the lowest scorers in Division 1A or Division 1B at this stage, which I never thought, whatever about discussion around relegation, I never thought we'd be discussing Limerick being the lowest scorers in the top flight.
2: No, I think we expected people, we were hoping teams to maybe take a scalp off Limerick in the league. And I think that's the kinda, the, the best anyone was really expecting because, you know, seeing them in the All Ireland final last year, you we were just saying, there's so many questions for teams to answer here before you have a chance to take a scallop off Limerick. But like what James is saying there, I think they just they're, flat, they're flatlining a small bit. Um, you know, I, Seamus Flanagan did a, did an interview a few years ago and he, he stated like you know that Limerick work harder than everyone else and that's why. He, yeah, and I agree with him. Like they do work harder and they're so intense in how they play. And even I saw Tom Condon over the weekend. He was saying that Paul Connors when he's training them, he he believes that they train at 120 percent so that. You know whatever that is, so that when it comes to a match, you've actually trained harder. And you know, I know a lot of coaches would believe that. But at the moment, that doesn't seem to be what's happening. I mean, they're they're being outworked, and that's the bottom line. And if they're priding themselves on the work rate, the one thing, and I think it's one thing that John Kiley will, will be looking for, kind of going, Okay, lads, I don't mind if there's lads hitting wides here, I don't mind you know, any of those things or lads making the odd mistake, but being outworked is an attitude. You know, that's, if you're being outworked, it's not because things didn't go your way. You can always run hard for a ball. You can always put in a tackle. You can always track back. You can always support. Okay, if you don't raise a ball or you don't, you don't put a ball over the bar, that comes down to the skill and that's not an attitude problem. That's just maybe in confidence, whatever. But they're being outworked. I saw several instances as well where, players are being isolated, which is not a thing we associate with Limerick. A player would get a ball, out, you know, Colin Cockburn be out in the wing, he gets a ball into the hand, hit by three Clare players, and then he can't get a pass away because there's no one necessarily there supporting. That's something we've seen and I think it's something teams are looking at now. Probably the two teams teams are bringing to the Limerick uh, when they're playing Limerick is one, hit them before they they get their heads up. So if they get a ball into their hand, there has to be lads hitting them. And then the second one then is, as we've seen at Argyle get under their skin, poke at them, whatever. And we do see even players, I suppose, Look, like players getting the dig and another fellow wouldn't go down, but some players are going down and highlighting it to referees. That's what's, to me, that's saying that, you know, the, the the plan is there to get under Limerick's skin. Limerick are buying it. So every team is going to just keep doing it. And if you have to sell it to the referee a little bit, as, as teams are kind of doing, they're doing it. But um, they're, for me, the two things that we're seeing with Limerick at the moment. They're being a little bit outworked and teams are getting under their skin. So it's just, they have to look at that and see how they're going to address it.
0: On that point about aggravation, James, every week that there's a discussion about a Limerick case or a Limerick red card, this keeps it in focus, doesn't it? As we get closer to championship, that there's actually an incentive now if you're an opposition player to have a go at a Gerard Hegarty or have a go at an Aaron and try and take out one of their main players by getting them sent off because it's been successful so far. Like if you think about the Hegarty red card going right back to the Galway game,
1: that was about trying to just poke him, get in his face and see if he'll react. Yeah, like, I would have no problem in admitting that if I'm a coach of a team, I am assessing every single avenue to get a Olympic man off his game. Every avenue. I'm not saying I wouldn't condone hitting him, you know, off the ball. Definitely not that. But I'm saying I'm in his ear. I'm talking about his life, his girlfriend, everything I can think of. I'm trying to get him down, do you know what I mean? And, like, we're not privy to conversations. We're not privy to off-the-ball stuff where we're probably clear he's holding Aaron Glenn all day, do you know what I mean? Probably grabbing his hurl all day, stepping on his feet, pulling at his straps, his helmet all day. You know, And what we see then, probably with the, with the wild swing from Galan, is just a culmination of all these incidents. You know? But if you're a coach, you're saying, get at them, get in their face, get up front. Because it's, it's shown, it's not, it's not me and Paul just talking about our opinions here. It's shown that it's proven. They just don't like it. They don't like it because, yes, they're top dogs. They're the best uh, team in the Championship for the last number of years. They've, out, they've out-muscled everyone for the last three years so when, it's, when someone muscles them and begins to outmuscle them like Paul is saying it just turns the, the tide in the opposite direction you know what I mean and they don't like it so if I'm Aaron Kingston I'm looking down and I'm saying Cork or if I'm Brian Lohan again I'm saying hit them straight in the mouth from, from the seconds you get the the, the the ball is thrown in and to see where it takes you because right now like Hegarty served a suspension as of yesterday uh, Flanagan served a suspension and all he's doing is having an ill effect on the team the whole balance seems to have shifted Hegarty came back yesterday and truth be told, he looked very, very, you know, he, he, was, he wasn't sharp at all. Like, a pickups were missed and I think he was taken off, I think, for for a finish, you know. So, like, he wasn't as sharp as he would be because he wasn't going to continue the game. So, like you said, Will, uh, attack every avenue and I, I, I won't say in two weeks' time we'll be talking about another red card, but you know there's always a possibility. Look,
0: well, this is why I'm delighted that we got two people on this pod who were there to stop people from putting scores in against them because now I can ask both of you about the dark arts of defending because you've just brought it up, James. <laughs> Paul, did you ever try and wind up uh, forward in the same fashion where you talk about rumours about his girlfriend or his personal <laughs> life or anything like that? Because James has definitely shouted from the goals by the sounds of it.
2: No, I can certainly say I didn't. It wasn't something <laughs> that was going that, that was part of my art. Uh, like, no, again, like di- different players play in different ways. Um, you know, my my thing would have would have been that when I when I was off the pitch that I was training hard and so on, so that when I came to the pitch, I was thinking to myself, "There's no way." this lad could have trained harder than me. And that's what got me mentally prepared. And for me, when there was a lad who would have came on to me, and it, it happens less than you think, but it still does happen, I suppose. But I would have had lads kind of, I suppose, sledging or whatever you want to call it, coming in and mouthing at me. And the one thing I would have had myself prepared for, in terms of saying, would have been that if he's mouthing at me, that's because he thinks I'm, I'm a danger to him having a good game. So he decided now that he has to come on, he has to mount at me because he doesn't actually think he can beat me 50-50. So that I would always go, if he's come on, he's mountain. I said, brilliant. There's a weakness in this fella. He doesn't think he can just go out there and ruin the position. And like, and, and in saying that now, James, like, you know, I want a, a Mark Joel Canning, Mark Seamus Callan. Them boys aren't sledging. Um, yeah, and maybe, maybe they'd be going out looking at, uh, you know, or maybe other players would be going out targeting a lad. Like, if you know, let's say, if you thought Paul Murphy would react, maybe you would then. But, the likes of those lads wouldn't go out because they're there to hurl. They believe they can hurl. That's so, my oh, point. Yeah, yeah. That's my point. Yeah, you see. Yeah.
1: What I'm saying is, as of now, right now, if I'm if I'm course looking at Limerick and I'm looking at Flanagan, looking at Galan, yeah. I'm getting on them. I'm getting on them because they will draw a strike. You know what I mean? It's yeah, proven. Yeah. It's not. It's not just us thinking maybe they will. It's it's absolutely proven. It's in the pudding in the last couple of weeks that Hegarty will strike if you get in his face. You know, yeah. and like get get in his face. There's nothing wrong with that in the game. Get in him. So if a tackle's coming, hit him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Get up, get up front and use the body. Like sledge is a different story. That's for that's for
2: football. Do yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and like there is two things there, like that, that I was saying. Like, like I was saying, like that, you know, if a lad's trying to put you off, like if he's trying to put you off by mouthing at you, you're playing into his hands by actually doing what he wants you to do, is by actually giving him a dig back. And I suppose to say again that you would have played in as well. I won't mention the player that was involved, but we had, like, Gerrard Ger- would be a fiery corner forward. Like, you know, the lads didn't like marking him in training because he'd give it back to you fairly hard. Now, if you gave him any sort of a dig, he'd give it back to you twice as hard. But we played G a few years ago. And, look, the blood was up in the match at some stage. And uh Gerrard, maybe he dropped the ball or something. And whoever was marking him, I won't say it was marking him, came out with the ball, handed it off, it went up the other end, and he got a point. And the-, the lad went into him and said, that was your fault. You dropped the ball there. That's your score. You put it over the bar. Like, Ger- Ger- Jerro turned around and got the next ball, pushed your man over and stuck it over the bar. And he said, "Who got that score?" Basically, and that's what you're looking for. I would say with the players, like you know, the likes of Jerry Elwood be a fiery man. but you're looking for him to react on the board, not react in terms of a dig, not react in terms of going the man down. Like, and you know what I mean. That's that's yes. exactly if he, if a, he in that situation, hit a dig. That's what the Galway defender wanted. Don't do it. You're you're doing him a favour by doing it. Exactly. So,
0: so, Paul, were Callinan and Canning, two you've named there, the kind of difficult players to mark and two of the best forwards of recent years, are they silent when you're marking them then and they just kind of drift around? Or is there much of a conversation that actually happens when you're detailed to mark them?
2: There's there no conversation I could name. I, I'm trying to even think of 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 the lads that would mouse when you're actually be marking them. And it, it's very few. The likes of Canning or Seamus Callinan, to be honest, they're like... You know we, we would have talked to like Joe when he retired and, and different lads and, and saying how much of a you know um a, a great figure he was for the sport. But the likes of these lads, the reason they are in such a position and they are great players is because of their attitude as well. They just I I don't know. My my reading of it is that they just don't believe in doing it because they believe they are great players and they don't need to mount at a fella. They maybe they've done it or maybe they've had their own individual battles. But anytime I've marked them, there's never been a case of you know, we've said anything to each other to get each other off. You might fight for a ball and you hit each other deep, and different things, fighting for the ball. That's all manly stuff. That's not going out or no one loses any respect for each other doing that. So you just kind of get on with it. You're fighting for a ball and that's it. And you're fighting your position and you're shouting at your own players and these things. But there was never a case of directly targeting each other. And I can think of very few players that actually that would have happened over the years. So, um, But maybe it's something at the moment that... Each team is looking for their own angle and maybe it's happening a little bit more than, than, than we know or than what we see.
0: There you go, James. If you were to take over from Brian Cody at some point as Kilkenny manager, you could inject a different type of coaching style into them then?
1: I don't think they need coaching down there, to be honest. <laughs> They're, they've, won enough, <laughs> they've won enough, to be honest. They won't take too the, much advice from a guy, I man. I think.
0: The cleanest segue possible, which can bring us around to Kilkenny's great win against Dublin at the weekend. This is one of the most important fixtures because... It's so important With the shakeup For the top four In Division 1B Because teams have been Beating each other so far And I'll come to you first James to get the neutral Perspective on it mm-hmm. the Kenny ran riot Really against Dublin At the weekend I know Manny Kenny Was saying on Off the Ball Afterwards that He was kind of at a loss To how they performed So poorly When they played so well At Thurles uh, The week before How much is that down to maybe Dublin's deficiency particularly as a forward line or how much are we giving credit to the way that Kilkenny hurled in Parnell Park on Saturday night?
1: Um, I'd I, I have no problem admitting that I think that probably the, historically the best working, working team ever like will, will, best county for work would be Kilkenny um, and I, I don't think the number on their back really matters like where where they can put in a block you, you'd often see Walter Walsh like, or even TJ back on their own 45 putting in you know a, a of block or a tackle and I think that seems to be Honest with the whole team, you know what I mean? So that middle third we have got half hours, midfield, half-backs. all those guys are just making that place a battleground inside. I was so impressed with the work rate. You know, I I, I messaged Paul to say on about Alan Murphy like, and by my count, like he had four turnovers now. It might necessarily be him turning over the ball and picking it up himself, but he was in with a with a tip or a tackle and it resulted in scores the far side, you know, and that just seems to 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 be the you know their their MO for the, for the whole team. And Dublin weren't impressive because systematically Kilkenny shut them down. So what we saw against Tipperary whereby there was lovely balls being popped into the the the, the 13 corner by, by Dublin players with Rowan Hayes and Mantua, that didn't happen at all. That happened for the first probably five, ten minutes in the first half, you know. Um, but after that, then it got snuffed out. Paddy Deegan was excellent. I thought, you know, Blanchfield in the half-back line when he won that ball out over Danny Sutcliffe, that was a message. You know, like, don't put the ball down here again. You know what I mean? I thought he was fantastic. And just Kikini, um, it was probably... Probably Clare and Limerick was the most championship field type game over the, when you think of the pace and, and, and the strength both teams showed. This is probably the second one. And, you know, Kikini, they were very, very impressive. Like, they have, over the course of the league so far, like, they have 17 different scorers. There were some of the guys who played there, you know, on Saturday. That I, I genuinely had hands up. I didn't know them. You know what I mean? And even when I'm going through the list of all their scorers going back over the record, there's seven, eight guys. I don't know. Like, do you know what I mean? Um, my own issue, right? but it just seems to be, there's they are very kind of neutral, you know, um, Level bunch whereby there's no standout star. Really, really, obviously, Walter Watch it a great game. But like where you where you'd see a team who's going really well. There's some guy really standing out, and the rest of the team behind him. It's a real collective effort, and you know they're going well. Yeah, <laughs> they're going well.
0: I think the plus point, if you were a Kilkenny fan, would be that TJ Reid's going to come back perfectly rested after his honeymoon and have maybe put the Hill disappointment behind him. And he's the star player you can inject into these young players who are getting a chance at the moment. Because 17 scores, I think they said on RT2 after the game at the weekend, they now have, in the league so far this year, Paul, I think it's 10 or 11 different scorers from play. Like, these players are coming in, and we spoke about taking opportunity, particularly Blanchfield, who James has already mentioned. I watched him once or twice now on the telly this year. I think he's looked really, really good and he's a player who's probably emerging ahead of championship this year for Kilkenny.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he just grew into the match. Um, he wouldn't have been a far-off man in the match. I you know Huey Lawler was was, was giving the man in the match, but Blanchfield was excellent. But it's, you know, it goes back to even something we were saying about their, um about Limerick and work rate. Uh, like, I can tell you what Brian Cody wants to see in a player, regardless what, you know, you might look at pair and say this for a skillful. This this is a tougher, or this is great fitness, one thing Brian looks across the board for is the likes of the hook and the block and attack. It. That's what he wants. So, like, if you want to play in the team, it doesn't matter if you're a great player when you're off the... Like, let's say you move out of trouble and you take a ball and you'll always put it over the bar. You're a great free-taker. You know, you're not going to be on the pitch unless you work hard, unless you hook and block. In the first half there, David Bantry, what I just thought really set the tone for it was a ball came across, Dublin sprayed a ball across, and corner forward, I think it was corner forward, got it for Dublin. And David Blanchfield came sprinting back. It wasn't his man, and he just got a bit of a hook. The ball squirted in towards the 21. Ball popped back to Dublin man again. Blanchfield was back in again. He blocked. And Kilkenny turned the ball over. And like, that's what Brian is looking for in, in, in terms of the players, in terms of the team. Again, it goes back to you might rack up a big score, but we used to often put up the blocks, the hooks and blocks on the board after training. And that was the indicator of how he actually went in, 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 in a match. You know, some days you might only get 10 in the whole game. In other, game, in other games, you could have went really well and you might have got 20 and a half. You know, so that's what Brian would be looking for. And the likes of Blanchfield there, he was just, I think he had just really epitomised it. And the confidence of him as well, Like he, he's out there on the wing, young player coming into it, hurl a great game on Danny Sutcliffe. And then I think he popped over two or three points as well in making And The last ball was very significant. He got it, got the head up, had a look around, showed a bit of calmness and said, right, none of you are looking for the ball, I'm putting it over the bar. So um, yeah, the likes of Blanchfield, he just, just
0: epitomised what they're about. Um, I was really impressed with him over the weekend, uh, massively yeah. impressed. How old school or not is Brian Cody around stats and so on, Paul? Because I listened to Tommy Walsh when he was on with the lads on OTPM last week, and they were talking about GPS, and he was kind of half-joking about the fact that you can see with your eyes probably much better you can see in the GPS, that sometimes running is mildest running when if you've got good positioning, and he used the point that I think he was hurling with Leinster at one point with Brian Whelan, and Brian Whelan had made the point that it's like, why not just be in the right place to get the ball rather than making meaningless moves which actually don't benefit you. Was Cody big on stats? If you're saying that he's thrown up a you know a sheet and looking at hooks and blocks and so on, how much does Brian look into that as a coach?
2: Yeah, look, I'd, I'd certainly say other teams probably have far more in-depth analysis. We, we have great analysis, and certainly at the end of, of my time at Kilkenny You know, we had any analysis we wanted, it was there for us. And we would have been broken down into, you know, rooks, one blocks, all these sort of things. But I always just say that other teams are probably, were probably that much further ahead of us, um, maybe in terms of going into real in-depth stuff. I think Brian just likes to keep it a bit plainer. Like, you know, you can sometimes go into the weeds too much on what's important and what's not important. But the hooks and blocks was always one thing continuously throughout the career that was always there. Even before, I suppose, stats as a whole, like before we had GPSs or anything, you know, Brian always looked for hooks and blocks. How do you do in hooking and blocking? I remember it was 2014. I think it was a replay. Um, uh, the only thing he said afterwards, I think maybe it would have been 2015, was that we got 46 or 47 hooks and blocks in the game, and it was a record for an All Ireland final. And that was something he meant. That's, that's what I'm looking for. It wasn't a case of how many goals he got in the game, who got possessions, because they can be, they can be deceiving as well. Possessions can be deceiving. You know, running up 13 kilometers on a GPS can be deceiving because you could have a fella running around like a mixy rabbit and he wouldn't, he's racking up in kilometers, but what kind of kilometers are they? They're pointless kilometers. Is he supporting the man in possession? Is he making a run, you know, up the pitch to get a hook or a block there? So if you run less kilometers than another fella, but that's what you're doing. That's what Brian is looking for. So he would have used the stats, but he also would have been very, I suppose, clever about uh, reading into what did the stats actually mean? Because, you know, Brian would often tell us, listen, you have all the legs in the world, but, You know, where were you here? Where were you here? Those are things. So in fairness to him, like I know lads like to think that we don't look at it in Kilkenny or that we don't do these things. But in fairness, Brian would have been with it. And it's information at the end of the day. It's information that's on the pitch that's happening live on the pitch. So he knew what he wanted to look for. And he knew what also made sense to him in terms of telling us going out the pitch what he wanted us to do. And those were the stats that Brian would have always taken.
0: Well, James, no matter how Kilkenny are analysing how they've been playing so far, there's no way that Paul can hide any more from the fact that this idea that Kilkenny are building slowly. And you said last week they're almost a bit too quiet so far. At this stage now, Kilkenny have won three out of four. They go on and play against Waterford in the last game, got a chance to win that and be guaranteed of a place in the semi-final. Mm -hmm. It might have been a kind of a slow start, but Kilkenny have shown that there's a bit of strength and depth and that they're actually looking pretty decent this year.
1: Yeah, I think I, I, like, if Brian is probably assessing the league campaign so far he'd probably look at what we're talking about, the scores and the method in which they've won their games. And I think he'd be quite content that he's blooded some, some new guys with, with more guys to come back, you know? So that, that in itself is probably a success from a Kenny perspective. And they've gone about it quite well. They've, like, there's no real headlines around uh, hammering certain teams that are getting hammered themselves or or red cards or off-the-ball stuff or, or crazy interviews. It's just normal, run the mill stuff plodding along as they go. And, like, that's impressive in itself. You know what I mean? And it's in terms of... Championship like they'll they get a good game now Nolan Park Waterford. Um again we 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 know going down there a very proud home crowd. So regardless of where the standing is in the league, Pikini are going to want to win that game. So I'm not sure what kind of team he'll throw out. Maybe, you know, probably uh a, a closer to the first ten or eleven or twelve players again, um trying to probably stem what what Waterford are doing at the moment, which is quite impressive in itself. Uh, and try to finish the league, round it off well by getting to the semi final. Um I'd say, of course, he wants to win the league. I'd imagine Brian Cody wants to win the league and so to but I don't think they'll it's you know, it's it's all that important, if you know what I mean. I think preparation for championship trumps everything when it comes to that, because come the, the end of July, no one's going to give a rat's about who who won the league. It's going to be where did you finish in your tier in the championship? And that's what he's looking at. And I think the preparation so far has been very impressive.
0: Do you know what, James? When we're one round of the league still to go of the regular section before the knockout, so a lot of these teams won't play again until the Easter weekend when the championship gets underway. It's very difficult and we two or three people who were in the comments in the YouTube last week asking about the composition of the Leinster Championship, where we think it's at, like even with another round of games since then, I think it's very difficult to tell because Wexford have been very impressive, you know, Galway have had a couple of defeats against strong teams but have played generally quite well so far, Kilkenny have beaten the teams that they were expected to beat and had a Mm. close game against Tipperary, we're not quite sure, you know, how it all fits in when the Ballyhale players come back into the starting fifteen. To me, on the face of it, like, like you going for three in a row this year in Leinster, but it's actually very difficult to call how this round robin is actually going to go at the top.
1: God, it's extremely difficult and like, I, know, I know for myself from playing the round robin that there's so many tangibles involved in this. Like, it's not just a simple knockout, whereby, you know, you might have two or three games in this championship. Like, you've got five, six games in the championship and so many things come into play. So, where you're home, where you're away, who you're playing in such a home and away games, what injuries you pick up because the games are coming so thick and fast, the conditions, you know, whether if that's wind or rain in a certain stadium, like, all this comes into play. So, like, there's no team at the moment, like, respectfully, when you have Galway, Kinney, Wexford, Dublin, none of them have put their head above the parapet by a mile, you know? you can't really point to one count and say they're clear, hot favourites. It's only marginal. So, like, if I was to call the Listen Championship right now, I can't. I can't actually put a degree of separation between any team because so much comes into play. And it's it's great for the neutral. You know, it's, it's mighty for the neutral that they're going to get, I suppose get to witness this spectacle of games week in week out, um. But like no one is really, no one is really kind of I suppose odds on. I suppose if you want to put it that way. And um, I think everyone, if, you, if you're in a Wexford dressing room or a Dublin dressing room or any dressing room that, you're saying we have a chance to win this here. We have a chance.
0: Yeah, because Paul last weekend, you know, Dublin, everyone was talking about how well they were going. They had retargeted the Walsh Cup, got that piece of early preseason silverware, had carried that form through the league up until last week we're unbeaten we've seen how good Waterford have been i got to draw it home to them they beat Kilkenny we're probably talking about Dublin maybe being on form the best team in Leinster but it kind of has us back scratching our heads again about where Dublin are actually at because the fear would be that when Dublin have looked good a few times in recent years and I even think of their Leinster run last year was followed up by a very tame performance against Cork and Thurless when it went to the qualifiers so what's the real Dublin here? Yeah it's,
2: it's a hard one to call like we were thinking we were seeing a different Dublin and we were brazen in the last few weeks. But, you know, the one thing we did say against Tipperary was that, you know, Tipperary didn't hurt clever against Dublin. They fed the ball into Paddy Smith. And Paddy Smith came busting out. And that really gave Dublin the launching pad to beat Tipperary. The one thing I would be saying after that then is, okay, use it for Matty Kenny and let's use that as a positive look. as this is the way we can hurt. We can beat Tipperary or any of these teams when you hurt well. But I'd also say with it, lads, at the same time, Tipperary gave us the ball we wanted to give them. If they, if they came with something different, would we have reacted as well? If you look at Kilkenny over the weekend, where was Paddy Smith? They were playing around him. They weren't allowing him to do that. And for me, that's like, it, Dublin kind of went, hang on for a second, Kilkenny aren't playing on our terms here now, and they just dropped the heads. You know, if they got, I was looking at the, the, the Tipperary-Waterford match, and, you know, Tipperary started really well and put over a good few points, and there were seven points to two up after about eight minutes or 10 minutes. Dublin could have been the exact same against Kilkenny, except they hit three or four wide on the left-hand side. And they kind of just left Kilkenny hanging in it. Kilkenny found her, feet, found her feet after that. Paddy Deegan was dropping back. They started cutting out the ball. And if you can see the ball Paddy Deegan gave to Keane Kenny for Keane Kenny's points, just kind of epitomised what they were doing. Paddy Deegan got the head up, saw there was a little pocket of space and gave that little really good ball into Keane Kenny as opposed to what Tipperary were doing with Dublin, bombing it into the D, hoping for the best, that Jake Morris would come out with it or whatever. So when Kilkenny didn't give Dublin the ball they wanted, suddenly Dublin were going how do we correct this how do we how do we row in on this and get them playing the way we want to play them and then more to the point then once dublin started getting the ball kilkenny were just hitting them and hitting them again and if you see there was three matches where i really thought it happened claire did it against limerick when limerick got the ball claire hit them but Waterford yesterday against tipperary tipperary man got the ball he hit them really hard so that's what kilkenny were doing against dublin did it for me it was those two things using the ball really well avoiding paddy smith and then once dublin got the ball they just choked him. And something significant for me then as well was Dublin didn't score between the eighth minute and 27th minute. And it was Donal Burke each time they scored. That's straight away there you're saying, look, that's, that's not good enough. You know, when you saw Lex Roden Hayes the week before winning loads of ball, I think he came away with 1-3. Where are these lads now? You know, when you need them, when you need someone to get up and let's say after 10 minutes say, lads, get a score on the board. It wasn't happening from Dublin. So as much as we're praising the last few weeks, Maybe, maybe it could be a bit hard to say they to started to believing their own hype a small bit and Kenny just came up and said, we're going to go at you here. But again, it's still the question of Dublin is you can do it when you want to do it. But is the attitude there to go out and do it every week and okay, you have a great win. But back it up the following week because again, Galway last year, they had a great victory. Um, but then they just didn't turn, didn't turn it on again. Like, you know, they just went back into the reverted type. So this is something, this is the question we're asking about Dublin now at the moment is we know They're capable. Um, but do they have a plan B do they have a plan A but do they have a plan B and when a team is putting it up to them are they capable of reversing it or do they just do what they did against Kilkenny and drop the heads and just leave the game wait for the referee to blow the whistle, and just leave Parnell Park
0: Just to round off on that game Paul because you can give us a Kilkenny perspective on this, you'd have to be happy if you're from Kilkenny with the clinical side, which was shown by them in the second half, like the Walsh and Kyogen goals came at good times. They worked those goal chances and pretty much effectively killed the game at that point and then didn't really let up afterwards. Like that has to be a good sign coming out of Kilkenny from the game at the weekend.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It was exactly what you're looking for. You know, they went up, they didn't, I suppose, hang around to see what Dublin were going to do. Um, Dublin got off to a good start. But, you know, once Kilkenny took the lead... They just put the foot in the gas. And that's something that we're looking for. Um, maybe, like, you know, when, when, when teams are trying to find their feet and figure out their team and so on, that can be something that teams can be criticised for. You go ahead by four or five points, but you let the other team back into it. But can not just put the foot down? The likes of Walter Welch, quite in the first half, was, you know, fighting hard and working hard. Like we said, even though he wasn't getting in the ball, he was still working hard. But then in the second half, he just exploded into the game and Dublin didn't know what to do with him. And then as lads were even being introduced off the bench, they were getting stuck in. You know, you had Mikey Carey driving forward, getting the score. You had plenty of lads just all over the pitch. So, again, there's there's great positives. I mean, I think any team over the weekend would have taken Buckle Kenny got out of Paranel Park. You know, lots of lads getting on the scoring sheet, lots of positives, players getting game time. You know, you were blooding lads, but at the same time, your experienced lads were stepping up um, and you were just learning a bit more about yourself. They were great in defence as well. You know, Huey Lawler and Paddy Deegan were just up the spine or central. Welsh Welch at centre-forward again. Like, you have the great dilemma now if TJ comes back, where do you want to put him? And that's what you want. You, you want to be able to put out a line-up with maybe TJ wing-forward or corner-forward or centre-forward, whichever. So I think any fans coming away from Parnell Park would have been really happy the weekend. And I know from chatting to people, it's just, you know, they're giving the team time, which is needed as well. But also the team are, I suppose... Um, reciprocating that by actually putting in great performances so it's you know it's great at
0: the moment James if we can stick with Division 1B Waterford have endured a lot of misery in recent years against Tipperary and Tipperary beating them heavily at times in their home ground in Walsh Park this time round Tipperary are very much in the game up until about three quarters of the game gone but Waterford showed I thought great physicality great pace Looks like they're incredibly well-conditioned with the way they finish this game as well. finish out incredibly strongly. They win by 10 points in the end, 128 to 21 points. Unbeaten at this stage, seven points racked up from their four games so far. Yeah. How impressed have you been by Waterford thus far?
1: I, so I've been very impressed. Um, I think they've mixed, they've, they've a great mix to the game, a great blend. You couldn't really, I, you couldn't really pinpoint one facet of the game and say that's how they're doing it. So you couldn't say, oh, it's a speed game, it's a power game. They're kind of, they have kind They've mixed it all, so they have a strength game where they can hit you hard as power. saying they've got a power and pace game where they're hitting you on breaks. And you know they're, they're like they're six and seven guys running at you when they're when they're going forward. That was evident even at the start of last year, and you know they, they tried to implement it, and it's like they've improved on it now. So if you look at any turnover yesterday, when they they really hit, as Paul said, they hit tip really guys hard, or they hit them um, tip guys hard. And as soon as the turnover start, they're all faced from the one direction, attacking given options. And I can tell you as a defender, and Paul said this, when you see four or five or six guys coming at you unmarked because you can, unstructured and unmarked. You know, it's a sight. It's a sight in itself and you're thinking how are we going to stop this? In a split second, how are we going to stop this? Stop this. I can tell you, it's very, very difficult to do. You can have all the systems in place and all the tactics but if you have a team who just is operating at a level of freedom whereby as soon as a turnover happens, they have the license to go forward. God, it's a great recipe. It's a recipe for disaster for the defensive team hmm. but it's a great recipe for success for the for the offensive team and they just seem again, they have a good balance. Like, they're and then you have tried to Borca. You know, look at the condition of him. I, I haven't seen him, you know, he fixed his helmet yesterday and I looked at his arm and I went, Jesus, like he's in some nick, you know what I mean, For considering a guy who's come back off a, a serious injury. So like he's, he's an all-star getting back an all-star, which is a great um, kind of, I swear, rejuvenation for a team to get a guy of his calibre, you know. And they just they just have a good, I suppose they have a good thing going, you know what I mean? It's kind of hard to kind of explain or even put into, to, to, to verbalise somewhat. Because Cahill, Go back a bit now and he showed great confidence in the players, you know, that when Cahill said he had, he had ample opportunity to go over to Tipperary and kind of take the reins there and work with under-20s that he'd worked with in the past, which would have been probably 99%, including myself, of people would have said he's going to do that. He's stuck with the players, he's been backed by the board, same management team, he's implemented some young guys and they just seem to be all going in the one direction and it's, it's a real positive front for Watford.
0: Do you know what I like as well, James, is that there's versatility among that panel. Like in recent years, we've seen some of these Waterford players play in different positions. But even in the last couple of games, watching Jack Fagan, who was more of a kind of a primary yeah. possession winning forward, is now filling the gap for them at wing back wing and back, doing yeah. quite well in that position too.
1: Yeah, like when he's number five in his back and you, you would probably consider Jack um, beyond... You know, I would, I would consider Jack their primary ball winner in, in the year. So when you consider what he did to, to, to Klikini... The year Before last in, in the semi final, like he, he single handedly got primary position and gave us the man a plateau last year or a platform last year. Like, and even in the, in the in, I suppose, in most of Munster last year and against Galway, like he, he's very, very difficult to stop. So then you take your primary ball win on the forwards and you put him back in the backs. You know, it, it does scream versatility and it screams that, like, obviously, Liam Cahill has seen something in Jack that that favors the team possibly more in the backs, you know, it gives them a better balance or gives them a better direction going forward. And like, when you have that kind of Five, six guys, as we said, going forward and turnover. And if Jack uh, Jack coming from a wing back position, you know, it's nearly like the, the whole Kyle Hayes thing. Kyle Hayes was, started his first shot at centre forward, he goes back to wing back. Big question mark, same with, with Barry Nash. And now they're two of the best attacking defenders, if you want to put them in that bracket, in the country. And maybe Kyle is looking at this and saying, Jack Fagan can do the same thing for us. You know, so again, they know what they're doing, they know what they're about. Very impressive.
0: Yeah and this is where games might benefit them as well Paul to get a bit of extra time now to bring in some of these players who are coming back in like the Mannies after Bally Gunners campaign and Jimmy Barron is coming back soon as well who you would almost guess these guys are automatic starters but the rest of the players who have been playing have been doing well in the league so far Maybe, look, maybe this is the new position for Fagan and where he's going to play. Like you look at Bennett doing all the scoring in the forwards currently as well. It's not a bad problem to have all this versatility. And Waterford almost certainly going to get at least one game beyond the end of the league with a semi-final and maybe a final as well. Be no harm for them maybe to get a bit of extra hurling ahead of the championship itself.
2: Yeah, this is the thing. Like we're, we're trying to base at the moment really who um, wants to win the league. Like what positions are teams in? Do they want to bring it that close to the championship and different things? And you know, Waterford seem to be the team at the moment, and maybe Cork as well. That um, I don't think it's, it sounds funny to say it that they're afraid of getting to a league final. I think there's some teams that are going. You know, God, we could actually do with having a big bit of a break before a championship. There's a few things we need to get in order here. But you know, I was looking at Waterford at the weekend, and I was just saying to myself, in terms of look, we talk about Limerick are the favourites, and they are the favourites, and we're talking about Cork showing well, but. In terms of a, a team in, in hurling at the moment that have the biggest panel to pick from and have the strongest panel, for me, it's Waterford because I was just looking at the subs that were sitting on the bench and that they were bringing on and Austin Gleeson on the bench. Um, you know, like you said, Jamie Barron, Desi Hutchinson to come back. And the one the one thing I got was that like, like, all the talk yesterday, not to talk uh, soccer on this, but as we're talking about Manchester United and the players they were bringing off the bench and Lads Sulkin and so on, Roy Keane was giving out yesterday. When you see the lads come off the bench with Watford, not to say that other teams had lads soaking or anything like that, but they, like the energy boys come off the bench for Watford and what they bring to the game, like they're producing this 70 minute performance that teams would only dream of having, you know. And I think it's because Liam, Liam Cal has kind of harvested this this environment where every player just feels value down below that there's a position for him. And, and we're talking about Jack Fagan, but him moving around Jack Fagan. I think you know he's moving around Jack Fagan because Jack Fagan he's capable of playing really any position. But I think Liam Cal is kind of saying, "Jesus, I've got a few lads competing for half forward here. A lads competing for midfield. Maybe I could do Jack Fagan, like James was saying, um, being a, a type of Kyle Hayes at wing back and driving forward because he has the legs for it. And like that, if Tipperary want to drive balls out on top of wing back, Jack Fagan will win it. So Liam Cal is kind of in a position. And again, I think it's the reward of Liam Cal staying on. Okay, he has a project that we're calling it, that he he wants to see this this term or this term out before going to Tipperary down the line at some stage." But for, there's no doubt, I suppose, Ian Cal could have went to Tipperary. But by staying at Waterford and sticking to what he believes in, I think it's just Galvin and his, the Waterford panel that it's given them a confidence in, I believe in every single one of ye. I want to win in All-Ireland. I believe what's in here can win in All-Ireland. And I think so much of that just feeds into what they're doing. Like, they, they just look like a team that's really enjoying what they're doing. They're a brilliant team to watch and the energy, like you'd be tired of watching Watford at the moment. So like everything they're doing at the moment, it's hard to pick holes in anything bad or anything negative or where they need to you'd be very cynical, I think, really at this stage to pick it out because they're just they just seem to be in a really good place at the moment.
0: Yeah and I wonder as well James what might be the benefit for Waterford getting their hands on a piece of silverware because like no doubt Desi Hutchinson Porig Manny, these lads come back in now after winning with Ballygunner finally a Waterford team have got their hands on the Tommy Moore Cup with the All-Ireland Club they come back in now the two Covid years they've lost out to Limerick in All-Ireland Final All-Ireland Semi-Final mean they haven't been able to end the wait for an All-Ireland but if they were to win a league or if they were to win a Munster Championship with all the talent they have there's no reason they can't be targeted in both competitions that Could be a huge boost potentially before going into the knockout stages of the All Ireland this year.
1: You know, I've been honest, and this sounds a small bit dismissive of the championships, what they are, but for league and even the Munster, and I know the Munster Championship is sacred down there, so God forgive me for speaking a little bit. Yeah, oh, I know, yeah. I, <laughs> but I think, I think Waterford, have, you know, truthfully speaking, they've graduated from that. You know, um, it's not really like the Ballygunner I, I I don't think they're looking that a league has put that aside, Once the championship, it would be lovely to win it, don't get me wrong, and probably a fast route to Ireland, but they're really targeting their Ireland. You know, I think all the pieces have lined up now, and and like, one time you, you look at Waterford and you say, right, they're, they're a team of passion, as we used to call it, right, that, that if the crowd gets behind them, they're very difficult to stop, you know, and that that was nearly one of the only strings in their ball, and if you can stop that and keep the crowd quiet in Waterford, you'll stop Waterford, you know, but now nowadays it's much, much different, they have a great balance of forward units, they have a great power game. They have a good management team, as we know. you know, And they have—they just know what they're about. And I, do, I don't think, when you put all them things together, especially if you're thinking about trying to contest for Ireland, but if you're trying to win in Ireland, you have to have all these things together. And I'm looking at Waterford and I'm saying, jeez, they're, they're playing well. They're obviously preparing well because their condition is fantastic. They have a good tactical base. You know, Structurally and systematically, they're impressive. They know what they're about, as I said to you. And when you piece all them together, you're saying, no, league's not enough. Munster Champions not enough. It's Ireland or nothing. You know, and they're, they're knocking on the door the last couple of years and they've obviously been beaten by, by a, a, a super team. And like, it's, it's certainly not like what the Mayo and Dublin complex they had in the football. You know, like everyone would say Dublin is the best team ever, Mayo are useless, but Mayo were pushing the best team ever. And I'm thinking, but they never surpassed them, you know. So I'm looking at Waterford and I'm saying, right, they have now to get, get past Limec and Ireland. The only way they're going to do it is by winning that Ireland. That's the only way that team gets justification for the ref so far.
0: Well Paul it almost felt like an All-Ireland success for Leash with the circumstances yesterday too as we uh, finish out the fixtures in 1B from this weekend because this was the important game for them Um, everything is forgotten about when they went down to Walsh Park and conceded seven goals um, finishing a little bit tamely against Kilkenny the week before when we were talking about the leash Antrim game And, and everything for me ahead of that game pointed to Antrim's form being really good they were going to go in raid Port Leash, win, and Antrim would be assured of a place in Division 1 for next year. Not how it played out and that was even with Leash having to hurl for long stages yesterday afternoon with 14 men after Jack Kelly was sent off. But Leash went up at one stage six points up, Antrim came back, the game was very much in the balance, everyone was a bit nervy because the TV scoreline was wrong for about five minutes um, so a lot of people were thinking "Whoa, Leash aren't actually ahead, this game is level and then Charlie Dwyer Paul puts over one of the most remarkable winning scores you'll ever see where I think anyone on the Leash team if it wasn't for Charlie Dwyer's talent would have been saying pass the ball do not take what's at best a twenty-eighty shot over your shoulder on your weaker side but yet he split the post in a more park and they get out with what's a very very important win and funnily enough Leash have just got Antrim's number that's three years in a row they've met a couple of times in different championships in the league and Leash are able to win pretty much every time that they meet
2: yeah, we talked about it last week saying we were wondering where Cheller was going to pull it out of um, because it looked like that he had to pull kind of a rabbit out of the hat because their form just wasn't good going into it. And that's no disrespect to Leach, but, you know, I think they tell you that themselves that, you know, they were they were failing to, to get any sort of traction in matches and, you know, to, to get from there to go and beating a really good Antrim side. And Antrim have, have just been pipped at the post so many times so far this year that really you would be saying that this is pointing in the way of an Antrim win. And if you told everyone before the match that Leash will have a lad sent off after 25 minutes or so and they'll still go on to win, you wouldn't believe it because this was a performance we hadn't seen from Leash. Again, look, we've talked about Leash. So many of the players that are there have been involved and they had the great championship run a few years ago in 2019. Um, so they do have the players there. But like you said, you know, this was a performance that just seemed to come out of the blue altogether. Like Paddy Persson's goal at the start which just set the tone for everything. He just, from the sideline, came racing in and hung it up. There just was no doubt in their mind and they were getting scores that they hadn't been getting all year. They were putting ones over from the sideline. Like you said, Chad Hoyer, he had a brilliant game and he just seemed really up for it as well. Any time you got a score and they cut back to him, usually you'd have a player jogging back into position. He was lepping around the pitch and not in a bad way. He was just really up for it. But the last score, like you said, look, the score of the weekend, Um, kind of one of those ones you'd give out to a fella if he did it after five minutes in a match that he didn't look, he just swung and trying over. Never mind trying to be the winning scorer in a match. Um it's just not what we know at the moment in Hurling, but using the ball well and give the ball to the man in the best position and all this crack. But sometimes you need just the inspiration thing of a fella getting the ball, taking charge and putting it over. And look, Chad Weir is, is a brilliant player. Um, he's not too far away. We would have loved to have him at this side of the border. He was, he's not too far away from uh, from the Kilkenny border. So Even we would love to have him. We, we take any on. But, uh, but Chad is an excellent hurler. And yesterday, look, I think in fairness, look, it's not to... I suppose big it up to a huge thing. Look, there was nothing overly at stake. There was no trophy in the line or anything, but certainly for the likes of Chadow Air, putting a, a really defined performance like that and the leash players yesterday when they really needed it. Um, you know, I think they'll take some solace from that. And it was it was just, I suppose, something that they I think that the leash crowd really needed it after the performances this year. But look, full credit to uh full credit to leash to a deserving the victory.
0: Yeah, the thing is, James, and we were chatting at the weekend, the three of us about Maliki Clarkin's article in the Irish Times where he pointed out, and I think there's very good arguments in there about some of the deficiencies about the National Hurling League, and particularly since it's been restructured, you know, are almost certain that one team from, say, the pack outside the top eight are going to take some ritual beatings. And it was Westmead last year, offly of this year. You're likely to have two teams are going to be competitive with each other in 1B. So this fixture is going to be important most years because it's almost certainly going to decide who's staying up and who's going down. It's kind of forgotten sometimes that now Leash have been 11 years in Division One of the Hurling League. A lot of those years, they've had to stay up with the skin of their teeth. They've won some relegation playoffs along the way. But for all the disappointment that would have been in Leash about the way they hurled in the first three games, 2023, they're going to be a Division One hurling team again.
1: Yeah. And I, you know that article, like, I think what everyone does is they draw comparisons to the Football League setup. And I, every county, Bar 1, you know, plays football, as say, and they're in a, a certain division of their own merit, you could say. So, like, it's it's not as if a couple of counties are being isolated. So, if you think of it at the minute in the hurling, we've got a twelve-team top top tier league. Let's call it that, right? And there's probably two or three teams that that struggle to challenge the top nine, but you can't isolate them. So, we we, tra- we tried the the one B league a few years ago, and like even though we we're down it in ourselves, you know what I mean? And it was it was no good for the. Caught the top teams, and it was no good for the smaller teams because it really came down to one fixture. And like I remember, we played was it Limerick one year, and uh, you know that was to to qualify for the league above. And mm-hmm. you know, like was that that was our fixture. So every other game that we were playing in that at that time was aimed at probably loading members of the squad. you know what I mean? Or 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 maybe just getting getting some matches, getting some minutes into guys who come back from injuries. You know, so we were, everything was centered on one fixture, and that's that's not fair on the top teams either you know what I mean but I'm, I'm obviously of the interest of growing the game and growing the game in the counties that are trying to grow the game so like if you look at the, the, as we said the entrants the leashes like the offlies at, at the moment whether they're it or not they're still trying to get some traction in the game where they were historically brilliant but now they're they're, they're at the back of the pack at the moment you know so it's, it's, it's there's no easy fix Will like it, it's we could stay here and debate this all day and we can come up with structures but there's no easy fix like what we need is we need more teams. We need, as I said last week, we need more funding for these teams who are trying their best to to come up and challenge the top teams. In in my opinion, it's no fault of the top teams. Like what what can they do do only beat what's put in front of them, you know? And whether if that, you know, amounts to certain teams getting hammered every now and then, that's just the nature of the format we have. So I don't think it's for us to kind of structure it. I, I just think it's for it's on a grander scale it's for the GA to look at and see can they push the games further in these counties, you know?
0: Yeah. Cause- Like, Paul, if we're looking for a second, the alternative really here would probably be a Division 1 proper with, say, eight teams or six teams in it and then change 1B into a Division 2, maybe a mix of the top teams from 2A right now and the lower teams in, say, Division 1B currently and make that into a second flight. But you probably end up with the same problem further Mm -hmm. down the line, as we saw a few years ago, where I I think, in fairness, 1B at the time James is speaking about when I remember Limerick and Galway both coming out of that Division 1 year, I think Limerick won the league out of it one year out of one B. There was a feeling among the very top teams who were in the old one A that one B was like a soft route into a league final at the time.
2: Yeah, this is it. It's like trying to figure out the system, and probably nearly every sport. Well, very a lot of sports have this problem of trying to find where your top teams and there's a small bit of a gap between. I'm not going to call it, like the lower teams or wherever you want to call it. There's always going to be a catch point or choke point there where you know you're trying to introduce a team into the top tier but try and not give them beatings. Like, unfortunately, in, in some ways, it's just a gauge of where counties are. And, like, uh, like you know, Malik Turk made great points in it. But, like James was saying, there is a bit of a reality about this in that when you're trying to fine-tune these things, if, like, your few teams are going to take beatings along the way, you know, um, but, you, like, it's, it's a very fun, hard thing to try and get right. Uh, if you look at the likes of the Joe Mytone and Christy Rings, like something that hurling introduced over the years and the GA introduced... been very beneficial but by no means at the start of that was it a perfect thing you know teams were finding their feet but once teams got kind of seasons under their belt, they started to improve and they started to go through the grades and they weren't taking hammerings they were now within teams of their own of their own standing and they were winning matches and it was very rewarding but then when teams just okay you win you're you're now stepping out of that pond and you've gone into the bigger pond and suddenly you know you have a yard less and the ball is traveling a bit faster and teams are more physical and now you're taking beatings again Unfortunately, as far as I'm concerned, that's kind of part of the transition of it. And, and like you said, Limerick won it a few years ago, coming from 1B. And at that time, I suppose when teams were really going hard to win the league, you know, that was seen as a kind of an easier route in that you could play, you could blood a few players, get a really good, I suppose, few matches, still win your matches, and then start to, I suppose, introduce your one or two players coming closer to a league final. You're a little bit fresher and you hit the ground running. And I think two or three years maybe, the, the finalists came from the 1B um, just because the way it was working. But now you see the way it's going. Teams are more concerned about, oh, is I only have two weeks off. If now I get to a league final, I have only two weeks off. So now the focus has changed So, what's the problem. The problem now is that we actually have less time going towards a championship. So now the championship being brought closer to the league is suddenly a problem. So I think we'll be fighting for a long time before we figure out exactly, you know, if you get to a stage where you have every team and there's no team taking the beating, and every team is out to win the league, and there's the perfect time between league and championship. Happy days, but I don't think there's ever been a period of the GA where they went, that's perfect. We're always tweaking it, we're always going at it. So, look, Malachi made great points in it, but like James was saying, some of it is kind of a reality as well. It just, teams have to improve, counties have to improve. And at the same time, the likes of Antrim, Bet Clare, Bet Wexford last year, and we're all saying, look, this is brilliant, it's working, the system is working. But then you see teams taking a beat and you go, ah, oh, the system isn't working. There's, there's different results going on that are giving us different kind of positives and negatives and it's just a hard thing to try and nail down what's right and what's wrong but I don't think we're a million miles off at the moment.
0: To be no, honest. I, I look in first, there's no guarantee if a team has a good run. It's not that long ago towards the end of both of your playing careers, people were giving Carlo a pat on the back and mm. Carlo drew against Galway and the feeling was that maybe Carlo were closing the gap. Now Carlo are definitely going to have another year in Division 2A after their draw at the weekend and they're trying to get up to a level in the Joe McDonough where they haven't been able to get over the line to get back into the senior championship. And next thing it becomes two, three years where you're away from the top flight and you're not hurling against the best counties and your level can naturally come down a bit. Similarly, for all the praise that we've given Antrim for the way they've played, and I think rightly so with uh, some narrow defeats they've had in the league, the reality is they're now facing a relegation playoff they're not necessarily going to win the Joe McDonough and get back to senior level this year either. And for all the plotters who might give Antrim over the last 18 months, two years, they might find themselves in 2023 playing in the second flight in both competitions. So there's no guarantee. So Westmead, you know, this weekend as well, losing out to down, a shock defeat by a couple of points means almost certainly the Westmead won't be going back up to division one hurling for next year. So there's no guarantees that these counties who are, say, getting that exposure will necessarily stay there for a long time. And I think, James, that's probably the greatest credit I can give to Leash on this that Leash have actually, despite a few chastening defeats along the way, have kept themselves at this Division 1 level for a decade now.
1: Yeah, like if you were to look at the table here, you'd see Leash minus 53. And you'd say, geez, they're, they're getting, yes, they're getting trimmed in certain games, but they won the game they had to win, you know. And so that's all you can ask of them. And I, I think Antrim would have gone back up last night, extremely disappointed, yes, with the result, but just overall, the, the, the if you look at the complexion of the year as, as, it, as it was, I think if Gleeson was starting now his league campaign this year, he probably would have targeted four points. He probably would have said, "We take, let's get two points off Leash, which I thought they would too, and probably sneak two points somewhere else, maybe off a doublet, you know, maybe might catch someone. But and now, as it stands right now, they have zero, and they didn't get. They didn't win the game they were supposed to win, and right now they're, they're faced into a battle against Offaly, you know, presumably Offaly, I think, and it's it's probably it sucks the life out of Antrim, if I'm honest, you know, because there was so much positivity publicly. There was so much, they had gained, gained so much traction over the last 12 months in, in the previous league game, as Paul touched on, that the public were behind them. And I'd say inside in their own county, people were behind them trying to get this team moving a bit, a bit faster and a bit harder, you know, and then when this kind of defeat comes along, it just sucks, the it sucks the life. It's like a, like a punch in the gut, you know what I mean? So, but all they can do is put it to bed, get it back up again, and just try and take care of the next game, you know, uh, the, the relegation playoff as they say and that's all they can do and pack it up and move on to championship
0: that's all Yeah, I, I think look if you're Antrim right now you got to be thinking this is just a bit of a bump in the road they beat Offley in the relegation playoff they've got Offley, I think pretty soon afterwards in the Joe McDonough as well who were probably shaping up to be one of their main rivals along with Kerry for that competition you win those games and you're right back on track for the year they'll be hoping that they can follow up from this just before we go to 1A I just want to go through the results then from 1B just to confirm what happened the weekend before and also at 2A Uh, you've got Waterford winning against Sipperary 128 to 21 points Kilkenny 223 Dublin 16 points and Leash with that win by 120 to 119 yesterday in Port Leash in Division 2A down one goal and 18 points Westmeath one goal and 16 down going great guns in second place going into the final round of fixtures there where they will play against Kerry who are on course to qualify for the final after beating Meath by 231 to 14 points and it was a draw between Kildare and Carlo. We're talking about the league tables when it comes to uh Division 2A of the National Hurling League. It creates quite a little quirk going into the final round because Down have got head-to-head advantage against Westmeath after that victory. Westmeath they've got head-to-head over Kerry having beaten them in the first game. So it actually suits down to lose against Kerry because they'll be assured of a place in the final because Westmeath can't get ahead of them on head-to-head. Very kind of strange scenario. But if down win, they can make the argument they've got eight points. Let Kerry and Westmead worry about who qualifies to play them in the final the week afterwards. Just the way the fixtures have fallen here. So Westmead need uh, what Joe Fortune, the manager, said after the game yesterday, pretty much a miracle uh, to try and qualify at this stage. Carlo out of the running because they've only got three points in their four games so far. And it's Calair and Mead who are fighting it out uh, to ensure that they're not in the relegation mix for 2B next season. The other thing I, I noticed as well as we are talking about the, um, the rubbishing of the idea of the Ulster team last week and a combined team, whatever, There's probably more of an argument than ever about the fact that there's two or three competitive teams in Ulster right now because Derry have got four wins from four in Division 2B. Derry played in the Christie Ring final last year too. Donegal have won three of their four games so far. They're both very well placed to qualify for the 2B final. So one of those Ulster counties are likely to go up to 2A and down if they win their next couple of games could be going up to Division 1 for next season. So... Um, while Antrim have been the kind of standout team, Paul. At the same time, it's good to see some of these Ulster teams now making a push, particularly down in Derry, uh, to get to a level probably not too far behind Antrim again.
2: Yeah, it'd be huge scalps for them to get up to, to to Division One. And you know, when we're talking in the same breath of you know teams going up and maybe taking a beating and different things, if you ask any of the down down players now, would you like to go up and hurl against you know? Waterfords and Kilkenny's and Galloway's and Tipperary would you like to go up to, towards Division 1 they'll take your hand off because that in itself is a, is, is a reflection of where they are that they're hurling against some of the best teams and it's not because they suddenly just turned it on for this year you know there's huge work going on across Ulster in general um, in hurling, and there is pockets you know there's schlock names and these that are just you know putting in savage work and you guarantee that There'd be nearly a carnival atmosphere if they were in Division One and they were going travelling to Nolan Park or they were going to Walsh Park or wherever, and you'd you'd see the following they'd get. And like, I think it's their just reward, let's say if they do, let's say they were to get it, or any of the Ulster teams were to come up, like they'd bring a huge element of pride that they earned their way back up into Division One. Um And look again for for the negatives we say with some of the some of the aspects of these fixtures. There's a positive for you there now, and like you said, Derry and Donegal and the like these. Doing well as well and showing really good um, performances as well. So look, there's there's great performances there. And um, like you said, one they're, they're talking of one one team and also people suggesting this. There's your argument for not doing it because these teams want to stand alone in their own right, and the clubs up there are very proud. And look, there's proof is in the pudding there that the that the work was paying off.
0: Yeah, The 1B table then as we get ready for the final round of fixtures in a couple of weeks time uh, still very much in the mix in Division 1B so Waterford top with 7 points from their 4 games they played Kilkenny their uh, neighbours and rivals in the last game Kilkenny on 6 points with 3 wins and 4 who are also still very well place to qualify for the final Uh, particularly as James pointed out before we recorded because of the really good score difference that Waterford have even a draw would be more than enough for them and even a loss they're probably still in a very good position to qualify because Dublin have got five points and even if Dublin beat Leash they would have to do so quite handsomely and maybe hope that Kilkenny take a few points away from Waterford in order to qualify. Tipperary in the mix as well on four points, but that defeat at the weekend uh, for them was a blow in their hopes of qualifying for the last four. They finish out against an Antrim team who are already preparing uh, for the relegation final. So maybe motivations will come into it a little bit into the last weekend. But James, you would think with the way that 1B is shaping up ahead of that final round, Waterford looked good to qualify and it's probably going to be Kilkenny or Dublin that followed them into the semifinals.
1: Yeah, like you, you would think that Dublin would come through Leash. Now You'd imagine that Dublin, Dublin would come through leash and we should put them onto seven points as well, which would then mean that obviously Kikini have to take a, at least a draw um, to, to, to qualify. But um, if I, it looks like, right now, it looks like the way the form is, you would say, it's going to be Dublin and Waterford qualifying. You know what I mean? Even though Kikini have gone fierce well, that's just the way the table has transpired. You know what I mean? Like uh, Dublin will be, will be on seven, let's be frank about it. And Waterford and Kikini, who knows how that's going to go, you know? Um so it's just it was an inter- interesting group, like and what I, I think across the board, Tipperary are gonna be extremely disappointed. Extreme, like, the way that, that their league has got you know, you, you'd imagine there's a pep and a step under a new management team. You'd imagine there was some, some younger players who'd get probably better results and like I'm looking at them and thinking, geez, they've only scored an average of fourteen points in play in all their games, you know what I mean? So looking at a Munster Championship, you know, the average amount of points scored by a Munster winning team last year was thirty points, you know what I mean, every game. So like they they're a long way off it. Like nearly forty percent of their scores come from dead balls. So they have a lot to do. They have a lot to do in, in order to catch up with the Munster pack. So the league for them is over, obviously. So now it's turn into championship. So I think they have a lot of structures, things to fix inside internally. So
0: Yeah. Division one, we already spoke kind of top of the pod about the draw, Clare and Limerick, eighteen points apiece. So Limerick know what they have to do in the final round. One forty-five Sunday week, they play against Offaly, they avoid defeat, they don't have to go to the relegation playoff and it would be Offaly against Antrim. But we know already at this stage, Paul, the two semi-finalists from 1A and two teams are going to meet in the last round. That'll be proper shadow boxing. you would think, between Cork and Wexford, given that they know they're already into a semi-final. But uh, Cork, winners against Galway on Saturday night at Porky Cueve, 126 to 23 points. Difficult circumstances for Galway, particularly... Um, given Henry Shefflin's brother, Paul, passing away on Friday. So that was awkward for their preparations uh, going into the game. But uh, Cork winning quite handsomely on the field, Paul, it backed up everything we were saying about them so far. Again, I think there's loads of options for scores in that Cork forward line. They showed hunger to turn over the ball, which led to the goal, which is scored by Patrick Corgan, who was very good on the night again. Cork look in a really good place as we get ready for the knockout stages of the league.
2: Do, yeah, yeah. And like they said, they're still building on on what we're talking about. All the good things they're doing, they've kept it up. Um, like again, Galway have been putting in good performances, but like if you if you want to, a team to be really threatening come Munster or come around the All Ireland, there's some matches that you kind of have to turn up in. And the, the likes of this, you know, you're playing a team on your own patch in in, in Park of Cleave. You're you're hoping if a team is serious about it, they'll go out and win. And they won very, very handsomely in it. I suppose a few of the things they'll be looking back on again is a small bit of, you know, Galway were a little bit flat, not to take James' phrase on it there, but they seemed a little bit flat. The likes of Tommy Onahan turned up brilliantly, and he was one player, I suppose, that really showed hard work race, chasing lads around, getting ball, getting back up the pitch, getting his few scores. The distribution into Conor Whelan, we were talking about last week, how they missed him the week before, and, um, you know, how much of a great ball winner he is. They just didn't seem to give him the right ball. They were nearly making him work too hard. When you look down the other end, the Cork forwards didn't necessarily have to work as hard because, like, okay, they were working hard, but the ball that was coming in was really good ball. When the score wasn't on, they were able to recycle it, and just there again it goes back to decision making. Their decision making was really good, but at the end, like, there wasn't a huge amount in it either. You know, Galway hit a lot of wides, and particularly Kyle Mannion drifted out the field a little bit there in the second half, and he hit two, I think, kind of two bad wides, and it, it kind of summed up Galway's performance. Like Cork were taking these, like, Mark Coleman came up and got a great point, I think, just after Kyle Mannion hit one of those wides. Similar position for Mark Coleman. He puts the ball over the bar. There was a few small things in it, but it just seemed to be the clinicalness of of um, of Cork that they were taking their scores. They seem to be showing really well. Like you said, Patrick Corgan looked dangerous and they were threatening the whole time. Um, but it, as well, one thing I did notice about Galway, and it's just a small thing because they look like they're just about in terms of intensity. You know, about ten percent off is all it is. But you saw they were working the ball out, and one of the balls they were working out. Cork player dispossessed it, but there was no Galway player following in straight away after to get on the ball. And you know, things we're talking that Waterford were doing or or that Clare were even doing against Limerick. It just seemed to be a small bit. Now I wouldn't see it as a huge thing at all. It's just a matter of, you know, the likes of Henry and the lads will be looking at this, going, as we dropped off it, and all it takes is two or three percent or five percent. That's all it takes. If we're really serious with this, you know, the work rate has to be right up there, the attitude has to be up there. And there were small things just around the park for Galway that I just thought that just lacked their intensity and a bit of decisiveness. But again, Cork can only play what was in front of them. They had a great performance and you wrapped up 126 great scoring as well. So great performance at Cork.
0: James, talk to us about those few percentages that are maybe missing then because you thought the performance was a little bit flat against Wexford as well last week.
1: Yeah, but again, like I, I know we've been beaten by six points two weeks in a row, but I was more encouraged after the Cork game, would you believe? Um, and because... I, being at the Wexford game I thought we were extremely lethargic and we would no real plan you know what I mean at least against Cork we shot about 17 points from play which was nowhere near in Wexford but that was very very encouraging Like, and we got we got points from play off players that we wouldn't necessarily expect and I think it was Ronan Glennon and Tom Mannen, I believe got nine points between them you know just popping up taking scores and that's what you need two, two young guys who wouldn't necessarily be associated with the the seniors of over the last couple of years obviously but that was encouraging um, I, I do I, I absolutely pick up on Paul's points where he said there was times, moments of the game where we were lethargic, really lethargic. You know, with, like Paul is right. Work rate for me is not a skill, like it's just a decision. You know, it's, a, you know, it's like what he says about I had to, like you choose to go out and you work your absolute socks off, you know, and that just, sometimes that didn't happen. And there were some elements of the game that, that like, it's kind of, it, it was very lazy, small bit lazy. When you think of the goal that we conceded, like that was kind of a lazy type clearance where the ball hit the ground and. The poor I should have got rid of it like just bring man ball everything and get it out but it was kind of a one-handed swing trying to get it out and Hoggy picks it up and it's in the net and it, I'll tell you margins at intercom level at this, at this height are so small so one little error or one little mental you know mental error or lack of concentration you, you could be raising the green flag against you you know what I mean so that's why that's one element of concern the second element of concern for me is probably an element of adaptability you know so Cork's game plan you could just see it was a possession game and they were trying to the two best players for me for Cork were, was, was Coleman and Barrett 6 and 11 you know and everything seemed to come through those and we couldn't adapt to the Cork book out whereby Cork had a 3-2-3 formation in their book out we couldn't get to it you know we couldn't figure it out you know what I mean and then Barrett found himself in space I have enough fingers and toes to count the amount of times he, f- he found himself in space and he just created an awful lot so I was probably disappointed with the lack of attention the guy backs gave the Cork forwards You want to call it that you know, and I think there's, but there's loads of works on, there's, load, there's loads of positives. Like, it's not all doom and gloom, you know what I mean? I thought Ian Murphy was brilliant from the goals. You know, he was fantastic and I thought he was good for most portions. Like, And, and so at least, you know, there's just great positives to take out of it from, from certain individual pay, uh, bases. And if you can piece all this together, we'll, we'll have a good, uh, hopefully have a good run. But look, two, on the outside, you'd say two games, six points get beaten, God, it's all doom and gloom. But I, I, not for me. I think we're, st- we're still okay in, in the sense that, there's minor building blocks in in every day we go out that you can pick positives that you, if you piece it all together you get the sum of all parts which hopefully would would be uh would be good enough come championship.
0: James, both of you mentioned Coleman here and how well he played for Cork at the weekend, and we've spoken about Fitzgibbon has been brilliant around the middle of the field. But when it comes to Coleman at six, right, that was a problem area in the All Ireland final for Cork last year where Limerick's half forward line really got on top. Is Coleman now looking? the right number six for Cork as we come through the league and have a look at him playing this position quite a bit this year
1: yeah I think so and I, even when the camera zoomed in on he looked very vocal you could see him kind of marshalling the lads around him let's say and I suppose in, in, in games or years previous you probably look at him as being more of a hurler than, than I suppose a captain type person who is, who is, who's fixing things around him and that's vital for me as a number six I think that's, that's a fundamental if you're going to be a number six you obviously you have to be a good player a good hurler but you need to be a really good organiser you know Need to be nearly as vocal as the goalkeeper is to to fix things around you because the more you set things around you, which your halfbacks or midfield and you create structure, the better it is for your defence and the easier it is for your defence behind you. You know you want to limit the amount of pandemonium that happens there, and that's why I've been impressed with Mark Horman. He seems to be always very vocal and very he's organising things around him. So that's that's great. And then when you go when you see him going forward, man, he's he's unreal at the link play. So like he, he, when he's running, he looks like he's gliding, so he's going through up, and, and all of his scores are coming through the middle, you know. So he's getting out of danger, he's getting out of tackles, he's he's breaking through, and he's popping up for a whole range of scores. So he's definitely the answer to number six, and like a, a great player. And he's only gonna get better. It's not like he's 29, 30 years of age, and he's on the way down, he's on the ascendancy, yeah.
0: Because Paul, this has become really the thing for any hurling team who wants to play a possession based game right now. You need a number six who's able to mark and who's able to, as James says, organise things around them as well. And In his case, he's the captain for Cork this year. But also on the front foot, and we see this with Deccan Hannan's distribution and other players who play in possession-based teams at number six as well. It's very important that they're actually good with the ball and not just putting a long diagonal into the forward line.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And and something that we'd never be, I suppose, criticising Mark Oman for his distribution. He's probably... One of The most skillful and, and, and thoughtful players in terms of how he uses the ball. But like even in the all Ireland last year, like when I seen the how he played the game from centre back, to be honest, I wouldn't be hard on, on Mark Holman in that position. I even think that's more of a thing from the line. One of the hardest things in the moment at the game, in the game at the moment, is the center back and basically asking the question: do I stay or do I go? That's the one question you're going to hear from your centre back. And the likes of that's why Tony Kelly causes a problem. Tony Kelly runs wherever he wants and question for the centre-back is do I stay or do I go? And regardless of how good the centre-back is, you're now asking the centre-back to go and hurl because he has to be clever enough to mark the likes of Tony Kelly or the likes of Stephen Benetton who wants to roam and go different places. And we're saying the same thing about Rory O'Connor against Wexford. When you're giving a lad licence to roam, has to ask the question of the centre-back, do I stay or do I go? And I don't think the line, and not to be hard on Kieran Kingston or anyone, gave Mark Coleman that answer going out against Keane Lynch and the all I think Mark Coleman would hurl against any player and, and, and give him a good battle regardless who it is but you need to give him the information like it, it's too late when he's on the pitch to go this is the way you should be playing it seemed in fairness in the all last year all the court backs were kind of a little bit unsure as to what their plan was but for Mark Coleman to thrive in that position I know no doubt he'll thrive the captain but if you just have to give him the information tell him listen you're centre back and in this situation let's say if Keane Lynch goes out you follow or if Keane Lynch goes out it's up to the midfielders to come in and get him and that's the midfielders job so Mark Coleman now knows that, OK, now I can go and hurl because I know what's expected of me from his position. So I wouldn't be so hard in terms of the final last year. I just think Kieran Kingston has looked at him now and go, he's great material for a captain. He has all the hurling in the world. As Jane said, he's getting better and we know he's only going to get better. We just need to give him the information to allow him to dominate in that role. And also... Feed the information to the boys around him. Like the midfielders, with the way the game is now, have to give him cover so that he can go and hurry and then distribute it, like we say, this quarterback, kind of get the ball and be able to decide the way the game is going to go. So that for me is the big thing with Mark Holman, is The sideline need to tell him, this is what you do in any situation. Don't leave him on the pitch with the situation of, do I stay or do I go? Because every centre-back is asking that question at the moment.
0: Paul, you mentioned Tony Kelly, just to kind of talk about Clare, because we, we focused, understandably, I think, on you know, Limerick and some of the concerns that they might have. Clare probably be happy enough now at this stage with what's happened over the last couple of games. Shook awfully off, off after been in the game for about 50 minutes and Clare then finished strongly in the last 20. Probably should have won against Limerick over the balance of play at the weekend as well. And now they get a cut at Galway to get ready for Munster Championship. They're going to have a little bit of a break. They'll be hoping that some of their injuries clear up as well. Claire, I think you'd be happy enough to have registered three points over the last couple of games, Paul.
2: Yeah, absolutely. If if you were to give Claire their results over, i say, the period of, of the league, and if you were to set them out, would you rather these results to happen at the start of your league or at the end of the league? They'll tell you at the end of the league coming towards Championship because You know, if they put in a good performance, let's say they played Limerick in the first round and and they drew with them, they put in the performance they did yesterday. That would be a distant memory now, whereas we're coming closer to championship. And if Anton, they're answering a few questions, like we knew when Tony Kelly would come back. What Tony Kelly kind of does, not only does he get the scores and he gets on ball and he drives the team forward. It's that thing of he occupies the other defence because they're so worried about what is Tony Kelly doing, that the rest of the lads can kind of go and hurl. And I think that's what he does. He frees lads up around him. But you know, they they went at they went at Limerick yesterday. And I think something they'll take away from, from, from the weekend and going forward is that like they went toe-to-toe with Limerick, no problem. I mean, okay, they weren't physically the bigger team by any means, but like so David Fitzgerald stepped up and had a great game. Um, again, of course, like Tony Kelly stepped up, but you know, all over the pitch they were <laughs> they were denying a good goal as well, which from what I could see, not to be hard on the refs again for another week. But you know, they were denied a goal if that goal went in. Where does that lead? We're talking about, you know, these things that tip the scales. I think if that goal goes in, you know, Limerick or Clare might kick on a small bit again. Um, so it would have been interesting, but even still, they reset after that. They didn't get the goal to reset. And they just stuck to their task. They could have won the game, but also Limerick could have won it. Tim Burns got a ball, could have put it over the bar. But I think just Clare had those few extra chances. Even Tony Kelly himself had a chance to win the game, but definitely Clare will come away from it going, brilliant. We're headed in the right direction here. And, like we said, going back to the same things that Brian Loan would be looking for is they went out and they worked hard and they hit Limerick. Like, it's one thing to go on training and then before the match say, lads, hit these lads hard and say all these kind of things that are all nice to hear. But they actually went out and they did it. And they worked really hard. They got up in Limerick's face and they'll come away from it going, well, if that's what the All Ireland champions are, and we know Limerick have another few years to go through. But Clare can only play what's in front of them. And they went out, they went against them, got a draw, would feel hard done by not having a win. I think they're happy coming away from yesterday, but they're looking to build on that again because that performance yesterday, as good as it was, you still need to go and get past the 20-point mark in Championship. You need to get a goal. You need to do... There's a few other things you need to take to be a really threatening team, but they'll be happy they're headed in the right direction anyway.
0: Yeah. Uh, Saturday afternoon, then, we had Wexford become the first team to formally book their place in the last four of Division One, the League this year. One eleven uh, for Rory O'Connor. Saw someone put up a meme afterwards. Rory O'Connor is God. Was the sign that they head up after the game uh, with the way that he's playing currently. Um, there's some really good foreign players in the league that we've seen, Park Walsh, uh, Rory himself, who've been really shown well and Rory missed the first game with injury but then came back flying. Uh, in the end, Wexford won by 122 to two goals and 12 points. Uh, Michael Fenley said to me after the game, I had tweeted uh, to say, uh, good to see Offley in both games against Clare and Wexford, 50 minutes, he said 60 minutes today um, was how close they'd run it but Wexford finished out the game strongly to win. Um, Did you see the goal James I think Buff Egan Was probably the best place To see this on Saturday He had it up on the social media The Rory O'Connor goal Where he survived Almost being decapitated Three times On his slaloming run But somehow He managed to have The twinkle toes uh, To get himself into a position And finish the net I, I know we spoke about His form last week But like what a ridiculous goal
1: Yeah I trust me now. I'm not going to lie. Well, I didn't see the goal, but like,
2: oh, you need I to could, see. I, it. I'll send
1: it on. you. I can just picture off your legs hanging
2: out from now. <laughs> yep. Um, it was a similar position that Paddy Parson kind of came in from, except they're like you said, they were just trying to decapitate or your going through, and in fairness to him, it just showed the physical strength of him that like he's probably not one of the bigger players, but the fact that he drove through and hung up the ball and off he went. There was a bit of aggression to it, but oh, uh, no, well, yeah, but like, yeah. as,
1: if you're if you're if you're at the back, right, and you you've got a forward up there, let's say who's willing to take that bit of punishment and go for, it, isn't that great? Like, how many times yeah. have we seen forwards in games whereby you think they're through on goal and you're saying, go for it, go for it, and they tap it over? Mm. You know, so if you've got someone of the caliber Rory Connor who's willing to take on a bit of heat, you know, yeah. and, knock it and stick it in the net, God, that's so invaluable. It's so invaluable. Yeah. You know, it's like if, he, if 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 there was a transfer market right now, like he's in the top. Honestly, with the, with the form he's in, he's in top five. Mm. You know, right
0: now he is, yeah. 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 Uh, look, I still think Keen Lynch is the best hurler in the country. There was a couple of people kind Agreed. of arguing this at the weekend after the game on on Twitter. Like, I still think if you take everything into account and they like, he's coming back to form and county and so on, he's still the best. But you can't take away from the fact that, you know, Rory O'Connor's scoring in the last couple of games has carried Wexford to some big wins, which has got them yeah. to a league semi final. And I, the goal as well, James, you're talking about the lift and what it does when a player can go on an individual run like that. It was at a time when Offley were actually on top in the match, and then O'Connor gets the goal and it swung it back coming towards half time. and again, he just kept on popping over the scores in the second half, which got Wexford over the line. And I would think, James, that at this stage, new manager coming in, Darry Egan, a bit of a change around in system, Wexford would be very pleased to know that with a game to spare doesn't really matter what happens against Cork in the last game, that they're going to a league semifinal here.
1: Of course, like yeah I think, I think if, like I said, if they looked at their league group at the start of the year. And they they have seen you know Galway and they've seen Limerick and geez, they they might they may not have expected to come out of the league when you when you, come, when you consider they've a new manager in place. So think of the league collectively. I know we we can us as as kind of pundits we like we can harp on individual results and we can you know talk 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 what we talk, but collectively all the way across the league, Wexford have been impressive. They've gone about their business. They've they've won all their games you know what I mean they're they're undefeated as, as as we said. They're not conceding a lot, which is huge cause like, with Wexford, you you probably could have said with them about them in the past that you can get at them and rack up a big score and they won't score much against you. But they seem to have tightened up the defence a bit now, uh, with a few you know position changes and party for Lee, et etc. doing really well and, and Matthew Hanlon. So they've got the makings of a good championship run. You know, they, they, it looks like they they can probably put something together. I'd be very interested how the see get on in the league semi final now, um, because yes, the group they come through and they've got a bit of traction. But when they come to a knockout game now, how will they perform? So I'd like I. I I'm looking forward to seeing that, how that, that transpires. But um, again, overall, if you're rating the league campaign so far, 10 out of 10.
0: Yeah, it depends what happens, Paul. But we could well get Kilkenny against Wexford again, which was very entertaining in Championship last year. Depending on what happens with Dublin, maybe we get Wexford and Dublin and we'll see how different Wexford are compared to the trip to Crow Park for the Walsh Cup final versus maybe where they're at now. We'll get maybe some answers to where Wexford are at after that semi-final. But it's an interesting point that James raises there, Paul, about the defence, because we've spoken so much about how Wexford have maybe liberated some of their forwards uh, during this league campaign. But at the same time, they're the lowest conceding team across the Division One and 1B this year.
2: Yeah, that's and that's an enormous thing to be able to say for any team, that... You know, going forward, it's it's all great going forward if you're racking up the scores, but if you're letting them in handy down the far end, you know you're just cutting off your nose to spite your face, and and it is something that's been really impressive uh, with with Wexford, and like they, they've they've changed it around as well. You know, they haven't just stuck to the one format like we saw Matthew O'Hanlon in the first game. He was corner back, and I thought this is it now for Matthew O'Hanlon. he's going to be in corner back. Next, next game, he was out wing back. I was going to say, maybe in fairness, like Darry Egan is is not nailing down exactly like just because a player goes well one day maybe we'll move it around and he's not afraid to upset it a small bit that way and ask a few questions of players but they're, you know, they're hurting really well and the main thing is I suppose going backwards is they're flooding backwards in, in their defense they, they're, they're all kind of chasing back and they're looking to get that little flick and dispossess once they get that then they're suddenly turning around and they're building back up the pitch again it just seems to be a cycle that they have of right we've lost the ball everyone's flooding back but it, it's not brainless either. It's not completely like we all flood back brainlessly. You know that we've the ball turned over. We know no one else up the pitch. They have a great system in place. Each player knows who's getting back. They're running back, and no ball is 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 a uh, is given up on. Like they're chasing back. I might get a flick. I might just even put off a player. But the way they're flooding back, it's it's so aggressive at the moment. And like you said, there, like to be the lowest conceding team, that's a huge thing for a defense to be able to say that. Look, we're doing our part, and the whole thing of. You know, forwards win matches with defenders win championships. The defence for Wexford now can you know can stand tall and say, you look, we've played against the best teams so far or most of the best teams anyway and we're the lowest conceding. We're doing something right in terms of our man-to-man matchups and the system that we're playing. So it's, it's, it's a big feather in the cap for Wexford to be able to say that at this stage.
0: Yeah, before we finish, great chance to look at the YouTube comments over the last week or so, because uh, next week we'll definitely be taking a big look at your comments coming into us on Ad Off The Ball on Twitter, or if you're leaving comments under the YouTube if you're watching the premiere of this on Tuesday afternoon, as opposed to listening to the audio pod on a Monday evening. Uh, John Farrell was in contact on pod number one. Great to get a hurling pod. Great contributors. One thing is, bit of production such as music and what's on today's show. Uh, Keep up the good work, lads. Added this in this week. So you're now getting the audio intro. I've stuck a few pictures on it. It's not the uh, ultimate production value, but hopefully it's uh, better to have that rather than the cold open that we've had over the last couple of weeks where we pretty much use the video part where uh, we come in from the start. Um, mentioned Kieran 32 earlier saying different Limerick come April. I think the only concern, James, if you're Kieran at this stage uh, saying that, is that Limerick just haven't shown it so far. And it's not necessarily like flicking a switch here. I remember last year, and I don't mean to directly compare them. But we were saying this about Dublin in the football in July, even after the Leinster final. They weren't convincing against Kildare and everyone just kind of went, ah, Dublin will come good. It just has to happen. It doesn't necessarily happen that a team gets back to the level they were at.
1: No, because like, every other team is improving. You know, so, so every, when you look at uh, Limerick, you would have said, right, they, they were stronger. They were more efficient with the ball. They were better tactically. They probably had the best coach in the country. You look at all that and... Uh, and you try to strip that back and everyone's trying, it's chasing, chasing, chasing. So now everyone is going to be the same strength. Everyone's going to have the same, you'd imagine everyone has the same fitness, even Watford getting fitter, you could say. And everyone is learning the possession game because Limerick did it first. You know, well, Cork did it first, obviously, years and years ago. But in the most modern game, let's say, mixing between power and pace and, and ball attention, Limerick did it first. And like Cork last year, where they started off that process and got into it as the year went on. Now they've graduated onto the next step and every other team is doing it as well. So the, the gap is closing and I, I Fundamentally, I completely disagree with the notion that Limerick can just flick a switch. Like, Paul, you know, we, we've been in teams long enough, right? You can feel it. You can feel it in the group. If we're not going well, you know, we're not going to play well. So, like, mm-hmm. if we're not preparing well in training and we're not playing good training games, and, you know, let's say the A team are beating the, the Larder or the B team. It's a really, really bad dynamic inside in the group, and it doesn't. That doesn't transpire to good results on the pitch. It all has to come together. That, and that's a fact. Any any winning player who's been on or any t- any player who's been on a winning team will tell you that everything comes together. It's the sum of all the parts. You know, everyone together. That's the thirty-five or six players, the management, the, the logistics. You know, the bus driver. Everyone. It all comes together, and then you you perform on the pitch. And right now, it looks from the outside looking in that it's just a bit disjointed, somewhat. You know. And when you mix in the disciplinary issues and all the media covers that's getting, it's just, they're they're not in the place they want to be. And for for someone to tell me that they'll flick a switch come April and we're going to walk through Ireland, I think they're just ludicrous. I don't know what Paul thinks now, but I'd say similar lines, (laughs) I'd imagine.
2: No, I agree with you. Like, uh, again, you're always reflecting on on your own kind of experiences with all this. And the one thing I was kind of looking at with Limerick and thinking about any experience I would have had that was similar... um, my own career would have been 2013, like we came back off uh, off the back of the All-Ireland in 2012, we still had majority of players, we had very little retirements, um, and we went into that and Dublin caught us on the hop in Port Leash. we went to a draw match um, the following week, Dublin bet us in Port Leash, and then we were facing into a qualifiers where matches were coming week on week, and we're, we're having to address the problems without really fully training, which is a problem. You know, you want to get out into the pitch and you want to be able to test your mental against each other and... We weren't able to do that. So the only way that we were actually trying to answer the questions was on the pitch and, you know, Dublin bet The following week, we had to go and play a tip in the park and great match. We won it, but it was kind of rider over. was back to the wall stuff and it was a brilliant performance. But we had, I think it was the following week or maybe two weeks later, we played Cork down in uh, in Turles. And the thing about it is, you might say that a week or two weeks is enough time. Like people say, oh, they got out of jail today. They'll be right the next day. But like you said, James, you don't just turn it on. There's a it, Usually there's a few things that are underlying there that, it takes a few weeks to address it. But if you're not getting the few weeks between games, you're you're kind of you're going from game to game, hoping that you, you, you get you correct one thing at a time. And that's, I think, what we're kind of saying about Limerick is that okay, they have the few things like disciplinary and they're not working harder than other teams. The closer it gets to, to championship, the less time they have to start rectifying that. If they show this at the start of the league and then they gradually start to correct it, we'd be going, oh, the indicators are here, they're starting to come back. They just haven't shown it to us yet. And like we said, none of us here are saying that they won't get it right. Like you said, Will, like they just haven't shown it to us yet that they're going to correct it. So you're dead right, James. You won't turn it on overnight. It'll take a few weeks, but each week that you don't turn it on, it's a week closer to Championship. And once you get into Championship or round robin, call which what you want, round robin sounds a nice way, it's Championship. Uh, it's harder to correct it then. And the biggest thing about that, I would say, is that other teams smell that then. They smell blood. And, you know, if you're not showing it outwardly, might even beat a team before the game starts but if if the other team kind of thinks that we go out here lads we're in with a chance here today that feeds into their energy in the game and it can be a tough place when you're going out week on week facing teams that smell blood you know so that's where I think that that's what what I think we all think the issues are with Limerick at the moment
0: We'll talk about uh, again we've talked about Cork a lot but there was quite a few messages last week about Cork on the back of they're winning against Limerick, including Patrick Coleman, did the beating in the All-Ireland final last year, maybe make a new monster in Cork. They look like All-Ireland contenders at this stage. And also Cookman, who was wondering, was a misspelling for Corkman when I read his comment, said, agree, something different about Cork for sure. Very impressive on Sunday. That was the game against Limerick. Uh, but don't write Limerick off. For me, Cork are certain contenders this year. We can put that to both of you, lads. From what we've seen so far, James, do Cork look like a team who, when we get to I'm so tempted to say the first weekend is September here, but when we get to the second week in July, will we genuinely be looking at Cork being a contender in the All-Ireland final this year?
1: Yeah, I just... Again, we can only assess what's put in front of us at the minute. And Cork have scored nine goals and 100 points in the league so far out of four games. So they're shooting the lights out. And that's 962 from play. That's, that's a massive score, do you know what I mean? So everything's pointing to the fact that they're ready to put a run together. And I think uh, last year... Last year's experiences by getting through a very tight game against McKinney and obviously having the experience of the final against Limerick is will stand to them. I know it's a cliche or it'll stand to them. It 100% will stand to them because that kind of, that feeling of hurt, you know, of all the efforts that went into throughout the year and that feeling of hurt in going to go up against Limerick and I guarantee you the Corklers, they begrudge Limerick a bit. There's a, there's, a, there's a hint of jealousy for what they've achieved and they want that. They want that because again, we go back to any winning team will tell you the best moment of any season is that five minutes after you win a game. Or if you if you if you were looking up in Ireland, it's that five, ten minutes of just pure euphoria. And you're always chasing that, chasing that. So for any team who hasn't got it, you you would do anything to go get it. And I'm looking at Cork this year and I'm, and I, I have it in my head that they, they trained all winter. They were lifting weights all winter. They were they were planning all this all along let's saying it's it's pure Corkness now and the Red Sea is coming. And that's why I'm looking at now. I'm thinking, mm. geez, they look like that, you know. The players that they've blooded in, as well as the guys who've been there for the last number of years, look like they're all going in one direction. And like again, what we're saying a moment ago about Limerick. Being a bit disjointed, it's the opposite for Cork. They look very jointed, you know. So I think come, I was going to say the second Sunday in September myself, or the first and Come the end of July or whenever it is, right? I think you'll be seeing, you'll be seeing Cork, Waterford, and Limerick just straight away, like three three monster teams that's where I'm I'm pointing towards.
0: Ooh, right, that puts our, our Leinster championship debate maybe for next weekend onto one side. If uh, yeah, James fun, reckons man. it's going to be a Munster fest when we get to the semi-finals, <laughs> um, what do you reckon, Paul? I mean, you've spoken about Cork there a bit already, but later in the year, will this Cork style and everything we've been impressed by so far in the league will that translate to them being a very hard team to beat? In the Liam McCarthy. Um,
2: it's again still still hard to call. Uh, like. I don't know why I have this air doubt over me just about... Sure, the jury is that, out here. The jury is out at the moment, and that's the thing about it. The one thing I will say is, look, you often hear lads saying you have to lose one before you win one in terms of All-Ireland. So I, like, I don't believe that myself, but certainly losing an All-Ireland final, it'll, it'll I suppose, get rid of some of the... not say bad habits or anything. but if they're back in the same situation this year, you can guarantee they'll do a lot of things differently. Yeah. And a lot of those players who experienced it will go... Jesus, where was my head at before that final? Or whatever. It's an opportunity missed. You'll have that grief of losing the All-Ireland final. And, you know, you're you're a different player from then on. Once you lose an All-Ireland final, you're a completely different player. Um, So that is one thing that will be in their benefit this year. Like, I mean, it's not... You couldn't have told them that the day after the All-Ireland final, that, look, bringing this into next year will be a benefit. It will be for them. And you'd like to think that Cork, if they're in the same position now, uh, this year in July, that you know, they would be a different team and they won't let that chance go as they did last year. I just still think the jury's out at the moment. They're putting in fantastic performances and, yet brilliant stuff. But again, it's still the league. It's not to dismiss the league, it's the league. You come to Championship and I think you'll see a few different characters changing in teams and there'll be a bit more cut to them. And the one question I'd have of Cork is that if they do string together a few good wins in the Championship, Will the heads, will the feet stay on the ground and will the heads stay tuned and will they stay as hungry or will they maybe, will, will the crowd get in their ears saying you're great lads, will that get to them? That's not to be critical. That, once you're winning, blocking out the people saying you're a great lad is one of the first things you should be doing. That's a question I still think the park lads have to answer and that's not, that's not to slight them in any way. But I just think if they start heading in the right direction to keep this form going... Are they in danger of leaving themselves wide open for a clattering and one of the games? That that's my question about them. And again, that's not to criticize them in any way. They're performing brilliantly. And they've answered a lot of the critics so far, but I do still think the duty is out at the moment if I'm to be very critical about it.
0: Right. I get to be the intermediary here. It's Corkness versus complacency is the argument mm. that we have going into a uh, championship in five weeks time. Now this is going to come around uh, very, very quickly. Indeed. Uh, a lot of questions about the rules. Cause we were talking with the hand pass being clamped down on last week. M- my plan as things stand ahead of next week is we'll try and get a intercounty referee or maybe a former intercounty referee on next week. Uh, because on brew was one of the comments on the YouTube premier last week, raised a lot of points around the hurling rules and how they're applied and I'd say probably a lot of people saw the picture which was taken at the weekend, which is like four sequences of the picture uh, by James Crombie, which is Keen Lynch and John Conlon tangling. And you see Keen Lynch's hand coming around. Maybe it says a lot about his condition that he breaks John Conlon's hurl in half uh, with effectively a wrestling style clothesline, uh, which technically should have been called up as a foul, but it happened so quickly. And just the nature of players now going into effectively, James, what are like contact situations? You're wearing a rugby top at the moment, so it probably seems the right time to ask about this, that, you know, players are now running into each other. A lot of the circumstances where these flicks and throws for hand passes are happening, players didn't kind of run into each other as much 10 or 15 years ago as they do right now.
1: Yeah, they didn't. First of all, I don't think players were were anywhere near as conditioned as players are right now. And I think the way the coaching has developed over the last number of years, you're being coached to use your body uh, in both attack and defence. Um, because even from a referee perspective, if you put the hurl in at all, and it somehow goes around the neck, you know, it's a free straight away. But if you can get your hands out wide it'll say, don't initiate contact around the neck, obviously get your hands up and use your body as a kind of a, somewhat of a blockade, it's a, fair, it's a fair hit. Like, but what happens with the Keen Lynch incident, and we see it every day, we just see it every day, but just the fact that it was captured in a photograph and the result was a broken hurl, that tackle is happening every single day, you know, and it happens so quick um, mm-hmm. that you don't really pass much remarks on it. like, is it a fair tackle? No, it's not. It's a free. You know what I mean? If you were to slow it down into a still image, people would argue it's nearly a red card. You know, that's the way people, when you slow these things down and look at them individually, uh, you know, at, at, at a much slower speed than the human eye can capture, you think, "Jesus, there's going to be a million fouls in hurling. You know, but I just think the way the condition has, has evolved over hurling over the last probably, you know, it started off with a kidney to be honest. Like, I remember looking at Jackie Tyrrell in college and this lad benching 100 kilos, and at, at the time I was thinking, mother of God, he's an animal. But now that's the norm you know, for, you know, for inter-country players at the moment. That's just the way it's, it's, it's evolved. And so when you've got a body as massful as that, use it as a tool.
0: Look at that, Paul. You created a monster in Kikennie <laughs> uh, with the kilos of uh, pure muscle that you guys were packing on and I that team again. who some people felt were a bit too physical. Now the modern hurler is just kind of copying that blueprint. You're at
1: fault here.
2: Yeah, it's all our fault. Little did Jackie know when he was bench pressing in college that he was going to cause this storm hey. the James.
1: I know, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a better one. I remember We were out the night before, which made it even more impressive.
2: Yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> so that made it even more impressive. It yeah, but it, no, it, like James is
2: right. One of the things I was thinking about as well, and like, there's no doubt players about like you're, you're smaller players if you want to call it that, even on a GA pitch. Now they're big men. You know, and nearly a rule of thumb is that. Most players aren't under 75 kg anymore, 80 kg, certainly not the lads that have been there a few years. They're banging on the muscle. And, you know, like you said, well, they're, they're colliding into each other. And I was kind of looking, even at the weekend, and because the matches, let's say, outside of Crow Park, you're playing in Ennis or you're playing in Welsh Park or whatever, the pitches are only marginally, let's say, five meters here or 10 meters, let's say, lengthways shorter. But players are covering such ground and players are swarm, and there's so little room to actually manoeuvre. And then, of course, the emphasis is on you get the ball, you break the tackle and you pop the ball off. You know, players are colliding. and another thing we saw the weekend, again, okay, we're seeing Keane Lynch tackled John Conlon. Keane Lynch was tackled himself, you know, got a wrap got in the head. It wasn't, I don't need deliberate. Anyway, he was going to raise the ball. Clear lad came in, hit him in the head, and he was down for a minute or two and getting his composure. You know, Barry Heffernan hit uh, Stephen Bennett a shot down below, and again, no malice in it. But players are moving so fast, and also like that now to counteract that, other players are so elusive. Like lads are getting the ball, and they change direction so quick. If you had your hands out, making yourself big, as would be taught nearly day one when you were teaching young youngfield hurl, you leave the hands out, and suddenly now you're dealing with players who are sprinting past you ducking past you, sidestepping, and you're handed out, wraps around the head, you know, you maybe run head-on into each other. So there is a lot of collisions at the moment. Uh, there's also a lot of those tackles that players kind of have to be a bit more careful at the moment, that you're not leaving the hand out because like that, a ball is popped off, you leave your at shoulder high, but the player passing you is, I suppose, driving through and has the head down. Suddenly you wrap around the neck And he's travelling at speed and there's a tackle and it's a red card. The referee will be left in no position to give you a red card. So it is something we're seeing creeping in a bit more, particularly the higher tackles. And I think part of it is down to the physicality of the game, part of it is down to the speed players are moving and that they're off the shoulder and the change of directions and things. And also part of it is just that players are standing up, trying to stop a lad coming through, two or three lads swarming. them. And we are seeing a lot more. And I don't know, is it something we started? I don't think it is like, but if we are sure happy days, that's our legacy to the game.
0: The thing about the Keane Lynch and Conlon coming together at the weekend, when I look back at the TG Carr stream of the game, it looked to me as if Conlon's hurl had just broken as he hit Lynch. It didn't actually seem like Lynch's arm had come around and broken his hurl. I actually kind of thought maybe there was either hurl on hurl contact or maybe Conlon's hurl had hit Lynch as he was going past. So to James's point, it's amazing when you watch it, even on a video when it's zoomed out a little bit. I don't think there's any way the officials could have seen that it was Keane Lynch's arm that came around and broke the hurdle as no. opposed to the contact being initiated the other way. It's just the nature of these guys running into each other at high speed. On that point as well, last of our YouTube uh, comments for this week coming in from Sean Claffey, who is commenting on the hand pass rule that we were talking about and a clear striking action needed to be seen. And maybe that's not been the case over the last couple of years. And now referees have been asked to clamp down on it. Uh, the idea, James, that Sean has come up with, is change the hand pass rule so you can only hand pass off the hurley Um, as opposed to being out of the hand and being thrown up in a striking motion. I think the idea of the hand pass coming off the hurley, though, not to to guide you in this question, will be that's very difficult with just what we've spoken about now. The amount of times that lads go running into rucks, try and pick up the ball in close quarters, the amount of times that multiple players come into contact with each other when the ball is being run. it would be very difficult to actually get the ball onto your hurley and do the hand pass off it, given the amount of tight situations we're talking about in the game now.
1: I think if you were to implement that rule, then the hand pass becomes an impossibility. You know, the, the, the hand pass after Hurley is only really ever when you're in full flight and there's someone running beside you. You know, of <laughs> course, this way, I never hand pass after Hurley. <laughs> I'm never in full flight and, you know, handed off to someone. But that's what it is like. You're in full flight and you're, you probably have a caught twice and you hand it off. Um, the nature of today's game, and we've covered it over the last couple of weeks, is it's so intense. It's so tackle-focused. It's so, you know, getting on the brakes, getting, uh, creating rooks, etc. That, you know the hand pass would virtually be ruled, you know, inadequate if, if that was the case. I, I think what's happening over the last couple of weeks with the referee, they're actually doing right. You know, they're forcing, and even you could see it in the second half and the Cork go game, would you believe? Because it happened probably three or four times in the first half. You can see players consciously trying to create, a, I suppose, a greater striking action so that so the referee wouldn't catch them. So I have no problem with what's happening at the moment. I know from from a spectator perspective, it's somehow slows down the game and every, every decision that was called even in the Dublin Kinney game there was a big groan from the crowd a you know, big groan because they want to see a spectacle but I think it's right so I think we should continue with business as, as usual at the moment and uh, let, trust the referees to a certain extent to implement the game and then the players themselves will have to react and then become proactive and, and give a, a greater strike in action that's how we solve it
0: yeah, we'll, we'll chat about the leagues next week about, sorry with about the rules that have been enforced in the league next week um, promise that because a few people have brought it up that they want a bit of a discussion around it and it's obviously a hot topic at the moment particularly around the hand pass and the way that the tackle has been interpreted in the first four rounds of the league it's a break week next week in terms of fixtures so we'll be doing a bit of a preview of the final round of regular games and particularly the way that 1B is shaping up uh, with still a few teams in contention to reach that semi-final Limerick should really avoid the relegation final but we'll talk about that next week as well enjoyed your company, James and Paul, thanks a million and uh, we'll talk again ahead of the pod next Monday.
1: Thanks very much guys. Will, uh, Will before I go, if you wouldn't go mind on, yep. I just want to say one thing um, Kind of on, on behalf of myself, from our club here, with a fella at home, Sean Stankard who is a pillar of our community uh, and has been fantastic for the club over the last 40 years, going through a very, very tough illness at the moment. I just want to take the opportunity to uh, wish himself and his family well wishes. So,
0: thank you. Well said, James. Yeah, no, I'm sure if you listen into the pod, that'll be uh, very well received as well and uh, very well said. Also, I should say on that that same note as well that uh, yesterday on Midlands 103, Jack Nolan, who's been the voice of Leash G.A. on that station for 32 years, has taken what he's called a retirement, but will probably will be a break with the fighter that he is. Again, he's fighting illness currently and is going for 12 weeks of chemotherapy uh, over the next few months. And we're still hopeful that he'll be able to make somewhat of a comeback in Midlands 1-3 because he's been calling a lot of those big games like when James's Galway team beat Leash a few years ago and uh, Leash almost got out with a victory. Leash's win in 2019 against Dublin, his commentary went viral afterwards and if it does prove to be his last commentary game, he commented on Leash staying up in Division 1 of the Hurling League with that win against Antrim. So all the best to Jack Nolan uh, with his recovery as well. Lads, again, thanks a million and see you next week.
1: Thanks, Will.
0: See you now. Will.